It's really hard having a dad who did everything. No matter how hard we try, we'll never stop wars or discover the cure to diseases like he did. No, but we can explore the hell out of this labyrinth that Dad never found. Like this treasure chest. It's all ours. Oh, wait, it's filled with monsters. Joy. At least we get to keep all the goodies inside. Look at all that black space and dust. Wait, what was that like? Thanks for opening me, but our treasure is in another chest. In another castle? Why does that seem so familiar? Here it comes, podcasting's finest few hours of gaming prizes. Action RPG fans, come on down. Final Fantasy players, come on down. Might and Magic lovers, come on down. And Disgaea fanboys, come on down. You are the first four contestants on the RPG Backtrack. And here are the stars of the RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Mickey. your swords and prepare your spells. Your friends at RP Gamer got a story to tell. Are you ready to hear about your favorite RPGs? Because we'll be going back a few years in history. If you've got a backlog that is really long, we'll tell you what's right to play and what is wrong. we got RP Gamer staff on the mic to talk about these games for most of the night. So pull up a chair. We will give you no flack. You're listening to the RPG Backtrack. Welcome to a very cold edition of RPG Backtrack. This is episode number 132, Then Some Heroes Come Along. I'm your shivering host, Phil Willis, and this is... Your not-shivering other host, Mike Minky. I but might be coming down with something, so I'm far from free of misery, if that helps you. And our our frosty guest, Mr. Alex Emptier. Uh, I'm not frosty because I'm in bed, but uh, I do have a healthy healthy cast. Oh no, he sounds kind of sick to me. It's cold. It's cold, cold. I got into the car this morning. It was like... uh, It was like... 36, 35. <laughs> he translate that into normal. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he he means about two, I think. Yeah, yeah, he, he knows what yeah, it is. Yeah, he knows, like he knows what the freezing temperature of Fahrenheit is. 
being coy. Yeah, <laughs> Just like my brothers in Indonesia. What's that in Celsius, bro? You know what 32 is. Yeah, so if you get to around 60, 70, I've got no idea what that means. Well, I had to go to. So I just came. Get that hot Celsius room trouble. Well, I came back from two weeks in Indonesia where it was around, uh, you know, 95 every day or 30 Celsius. And, and so, and of course, everything there's in kilometers and Celsius. They drive on the wrong side of the road. And all these signs are in these funny languages. So you learn a few key facts really quickly. Um, Dutch is Yeah. Um, it used to be the Dutch East Indies. Okay. Historical fact for all of your consumption. Right. Um, yeah, and I had an air conditioning in my room. Uh, that's how they do it over there. There's no really, there, there's few places that have central air conditioning. Uh, most of the uh, houses we would visit would just have air conditioning in like the bedrooms. And so there's a little unit over the window, and it would have a number on it, a weird number between 20 and 30. Yeah, Celsius. So, the first day... 20 Celsius honestly isn't that cold. Well, they had it, like, set to 20, I think, when I was there, but I kept bumping it up. I think on the last day it was... I had it set to, like, 26 or 27. So... Yeah, starting to get you know as I was get just as I was getting used to warm weather, then it was time to come back to Utah. It was in you know nice brisk fifty degrees Fahrenheit, but uh, yeah, lately we've been having a bit of a cold spell, so it's gotten cold again. I think it's gonna warm up a little bit tomorrow. It's supposed to be like a high of fifty seven, but still pretty pretty cold in the morning when you get in the car. Thank goodness for heated car seats. Mmm, heated car seats. But hey, we're gonna we're gonna warm up. You're not recording this while driving, I hope. Oh yeah, yeah, you never know. But hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna warm things up on the podcast tonight because we're talking about um, well, um, we're talking about tits. I don't know how else to say it. We're talking about the Legend of Hero Trails in the Sky, Sky, yeah, Sky. And uh, and you know we, we that joke why not? Yep, and uh, that is going to be the one time we tell that joke, and that's it. That we're we're not doing it again. And then um, what we're going to probably do one of our one of my RPG truck segments because during that long ass flight over to Indonesia and back, I had time to polish off uh, Dragon Quest Five, so we get to talk about that. So uh, we're going to take a little break and turn on the space heaters and we'll be right back after these commercial messages. talk about the legend of heroes trails in the sky developed by nihon falcom published 
by Exceed Games on the PSP, released in North America on March 29th, 2011. And didn't this also come out later on in Steam? Yes, it did. Also published by Exceed. And let's see, the Steam release... Do you remember the, the and date? It says, it, it says CN. Well, that's 2006. That's probably somewhere else. China. Uh, CN's yeah. China. <laughs> no, I don't want to play it in China. Oh, here we go. Digital distribution, July 29, 2014. Oh. There we go. So not too long ago. A single-player RPG. Not a console RPG either. <laughs> not technically. Oh, console on your PSP. Well, at least in Japan on PlayStation 3. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah, kind of kind of hard to see it as a PlayStation 3 game looking at these screenshots. Well, it is originally a Windows game from yeah, 2004. Yeah, by that standard, it. I don't really care. It looks good. It doesn't push the hardware, and considering how often my machine gets temperamental, I'm happy with that. Sure, let's talk about the Trails in the Sky, talking about maybe his story. Do you want to start with this, Alex, or shall I? Uh, I think you've got the most recent knowledge of it. <laughs> Alright, let's see. Now, what is the name of her father? Cassius. Cassius Bright is... Are they hunters? Are they... Is that the term they use for... Bracer. Bracers, thank you. Yes. Cassius Bright is among the greatest bracers ever to grace the face of the earth, or whatever planet this is. Uh, And he has a daughter named Estelle, who is not yet among the greatest bracers to grace the face of the earth, but she's getting that way. When she is 11, she gets a new present. Her dad has been out doing things, secret things, for the government, and he comes back with a boy named Joshua, who is adopted into the family as Joshua Bright, and happens to be skilled, able, able to keep his tongue tied when necessary, just really, really qualified for pretty much every task that might be necessary, and Estelle is prone to sleeping out over her quizzes and not knowing what the answers are, and despite me not really seeing it, being called boyish and completely unattractive by almost every male she ever meets in the whole game. We'll just ha- we just get used to that. They spend five years together, growing up from 11 to 16, and then her father has to go off and do something, and you will never learn the full details of it, but the important thing is that he's out of the way from the whole game, almost. I think and you still- do learn the details, just not in this game. That would make sense. You learn the pertinent thing, which is that whatever he was doing, it took a long time and kept him out of the country for a while. The, the primary reason being that if he was present for the plot, he would just destroy everything immediately, and there would be no problems whatsoever. Yes, the villains make clear that if he was around, if Cassius Bright was around, they would never have stood a chance. So Estelle and Joshua just, well, Dad's gone, let's... Let's try and become bracers ourselves. So they become trainee bracers, which requires that they take on pretty much every job offered at the bracer guilds around the land. And some of those jobs are not particularly exciting. Some of them are. And while undertaking these jobs, they uncover a plot which involves a gang of sky pirates, the Kapua gang. (laughs) They don't look Italian to me, but... There goes Falcom and its naming conventions for you. Eventually, 
yes, they face down against the Sky Pirates, all three of them in a showdown, after first facing off with two of them individually. And the leader of the Sky Pirates, the oldest brother, something's up with him. He's not acting the way he should have. He's acting remarkably bloodthirsty and obsessed about accomplishing the mission, whatever it could possibly be. Beating him up snaps him out of it, and he doesn't seem to remember a thing. Why were the Sky Pirates doing all of this? Why were they kidnapping people? Why were they consorting with these mysterious soldiers who wear uniforms that Estelle and Joshua have never seen before? Answers will be revealed to you, good player. After unraveling that conspiracy, for the time being, Estelle and Joshua move on. And... Let's see, where did they go from there? Ah, yes. Then they meet Chloe, who is a student at a private school academy. And they get to participate in a stage play, which I think was trying to give the opera scene from Final Fantasy VI a reference at the very least. And it does a, it does a pretty decent job at that, I must admit. But while they were at school, somebody burnt down the local orphanage! Dun, dun, dun. And it turns out to be the local mayor was behind it all. And he would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you darn kids. I think he uses these exact words at some point or another. Well, no, I actually, that wouldn't surprise me. And he was, of course, doing it because with the orphanage burnt down, he could get the land cheaply, and then he could sell the land to all the people who want that land. Of course, it's all about the money. It always is. And you, you help to bring him down, but before he can escape on his speedboat into the ocean, those soldiers, actually the person those you will eventually let those soldiers report to, stops him at sea with his flying dirigible. Catch him. That's, that case seems to be wrapped up. He seems to get off pretty easily, considering that he sicked a couple of bloodthirsty bio-beasts at you and tried to have you ripped apart, but... I guess we just let bygones be bygones because Galdurant, he's the mayor. Mayors are special people. And then we move on to the next chapter, which is... Let's see, this is in the mining town. And eventually we start to learn the true plot, the true conspiracy at the heart of things, which will be brought to a head in the fourth chapter, where you are in the royal capital. And the queen, yes, the queen is suspiciously not seeing anyone. What could be the reason for this? Why is the queen, the beloved monarch of our entire land, not seeing people when she was known to be a carouser? Well, not that, but she was known to be freely, freely making herself present among people. Uh, it turns out that she's being held in house arrest by the Secret Service, more or less, which is ardently struggling to find a secret weapon in the ancient ruins, which are, of course, in amazingly good condition underneath the capital city. And I think I've covered the major bases here. Anything occurring that I've forgotten, Alex? Um, possibly, but I've forgotten it too. <laughs> well, it's it's a <coughs> complex enough plot that I'm just covering the major evil bases here. There are a lot of junctures along the way. <laughs> yeah, I think you've got the basic parts covered, but yeah, there's a lot in between all those parts. <laughs> I, I haven't even de delved into all the characters yet, because there are a lot of them, and they're pretty well developed. Yeah, and this is the first game in the many series that are all connected. <laughs> and we will probably not see. I don't know, Exceed is supposed to be continually working on it, and 
we had we've had good luck with the back check before. This might just be the signal for word about Trails in the Sky second chapter to be released. Crossing our fingers. Uh, that's true. I think we're hoping for ju- sort of early next year, but we'll see. Um, so the characters, Estelle, does not look at all like a boy to me. Except, I don't know. She's she doesn't have huge breasts, but if that's the only reason that everybody seems to consider her unattractive, then I don't get it. But whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think the only real cat defines that is that she just likes being outdoors, and she has a collection of sports shoes. That and she's not good with traditional academics. That much is made clear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and in an, in an amusing interlude, uh, you you do have the chance to test her diplomacy skills. I freely admit to consulting a fact immediately beforehand so that I would not mess it up. And then there's her adoptive brother Joshua, who is quiet, composed, skilled. Frankly, he's darn skilled. Yes, and there's a spoilery reason for that. Yeah, let's wait for the end, because then we're just going to... We will have to delve into why the second chapter needs to come out in English. This is, this does not end cleanly. Yeah, not, not quite. <laughs> and then there's your first accomplice, Sherazade, who, despite being 23, has apparently mastered the art of drinking heavily. Well, 23 years old, it's a JRPG, come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you will get a lot of text to the point where everybody considers Estelle and Joshua because they're 16. Uh, they're, they're just kids. What do you know, you stupid kids? Get out of here. You can't possibly know how to do anything. 16-year-olds are obviously little children who can't be trusted to do anything. And Sherazade, she's 23. Ooh. Now that's, that's old enough to know exactly what you're doing in pretty much everything including being able to drink drink people under the table with ease. And she uses a whip, and I... Well, you can probably guess what a few of the things she will say, since she is a heavy drinker who uses a whip, might be. Uh, let's see. Next, we got... Oh, what is his... What is his name? Olivia? Yes, thank you. Took took me a minute. Our long-haired... The blonde one. The the blonde-haired... Would be Lothario, who is unable yeah. to outlast Sherazade with a, with a drinking contest. Yes, and probably one of the most amusing characters in the game. Well, he's certainly great at provoking amusing statements from Estelle and Joshua, mostly Estelle. Yeah, that's true. He's prone to launching into impromptu poetry recitals that are decent for if he really did improvise them on the spot, but if he has spent hours proposing his every, composing his every address for us, then that bespeaks a very, very sad man. Which he probably is. Uh, else? Oh, yeah, and he, he of course uses a gun in combat, because, uh... Why not? You, you, you trust poetic people to use guns without any consequences, right? Of course. And as it is a JRPG, it's about no more effective than Estelle's big wacky stick. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Let's see... Next chapter... Oh yeah, Chloe. The quiet student. Who is just a, ver- a very nice person. She's very quiet. Very helpful to everyone. She doesn't get mad over much. And of course, it is eventually revealed, which counts as a spoiler, but then again... 
you know she had to come into she you know had she had to get more important eventually. She is the granddaughter of the queen, and since her parents are, did we? Are they dead? I think they're dead. Um, I believe so. I... That does make her the. I don't recall them appearing in any live form or mention. Yeah, I think her father was the queen's son, but I think something about her parents dying in the war. Yeah, that rings a bell. And there is, of course, a lot of backstory to this game, which we might as well go into in a bit. But Chloe, yeah, she's... Oh, and she has her her Falcon Sieg, which at least makes her unique. I I can't think of many Falconeers in JRPGs. Uh, That's true. (laughs) And she uses a rapier in combat because they teach you all sorts of things at these schools nowadays. And then you meet Tita. Tita is the average 12-year-old who is just really skilled at carrying around her very own mortar, which she shells things with. And Estelle kind of adopts her as a younger sister, and everybody loves her because she's just this cute little thing, and she can also handle herself when making things in the factory because her grandfather is an amazing scientist. And Yeah. Everybody looks on her as the little sister of the group, and you know what? She she suits that role quite well. Yeah, she is pretty... (laughs) One of the least annoying child characters you're going to find. Yeah, she doesn't go into crying fits. She sticks to business. She Honestly, if you're going to have a, a, a 12-year-old girl in your game, then this is about as well as you can do it, template-wise. And there's Zane, the huge martial artist. And you can tell he's huge because he looks to be about the size of Andre the Giant. But of course, he is a gentle giant, and he's helping us because uh, Cassius asked him to. He's yes, he, yes, he's one of the higher ranked bases, although obviously not quite the level of Cassius. Well, Cassius is—I I forget his special rank, but there are only four of them in the whole world. Yeah, I think Cassius is rank level S, and like he's level A. So that sounds right. And Estelle and Joshua are still trainees, but at the end of the game, they get promoted. They're full-fledged bracers at the end of the game. Well, I think they're actually full-fledged at the start of the game, but they just sort of they just start out on the lowest rank. Yeah, they're still juniors, which means that they have to. Uh, what? Is, they're not free to travel as easily between regions. Uh, they have to they have to check in everywhere because as trainees they they need a lot more monitoring. Oh, and then there's Agate, the red-haired bruiser. Who honestly doesn't seem that complex? I hate working with you, but fine, I'll do it because we're doing the same thing. And if I do it by myself, you'll just get in my way. And then by the end, he and Tita get along really well. Yeah, the standard grumpy guy of a heart of gold. <laughs> he takes a while to show it. Yeah. <laughs> as most of them do. And those are all the people you play as directly in this game, but you meet a few others who will play significant roles later on. Like Kevin, who you barely see... No, not Kevin. Uh, Mueller. The guy who all you see him do in this game is constantly browbeat Olivier because Olivier is an idiot, or often acts like one, but apparently you get to play as him in the second chapter. Okay. And apparently you also get to play as Josette Capua in the second chapter. Yeah, I knew you get... Josette, I think she's quite 
she gets quite a big role in the third chapter as well. Although the third chapter is sort of a bit of a side story thing more than anything else. Yeah, from what I understand about the third chapter, it it's very different. Yeah, I think it's sort of basically sort of a collection of side stories more than. So I think the second chapter wraps up the story, while the third chapter sort of just adds more to it. Well, one day we may have both of them in English to figure out for ourselves, and hopefully then we'll not have to go on what hardcore gaming has to say about it. Uh, there's Julia, the dedicated officer who tries to help Chloe as much as she can, and is, of course not able to do so until the end because otherwise she would be putting the queen in, je- in jeopardy. I'm kind of wishing I'd taken notes of it right now because there are an awful lot of characters who are pretty well sketched in this game. Eh, we'll get back to that. I'll probably remember things as we talk. So, scenarios that you go through. I am remembering the infiltration of the prison where you must attempt to dodge the guard dogs in the in the lot and rescue Tita's grandfather who has been kidnapped. That ring a bell, Alex? I remember rescuing our grandfather. I don't remember the guard dogs. <laughs> well, I may be stretching the term guard dogs a bit. I seem to remember some of them being robots, but you'd still think that the people in the prison who are not in the in the yard at the time would notice that you have just single-handedly dismantled all of the sentries with copious noise being produced. I guess everybody was asleep. Yeah, that was a, that was a different screen. <laughs> <laughs> and much earlier, there is the infiltration of the pirate base, the Sky Pirate base, in order to get back all of the people who were on an airship that had been taken hostage. Yeah, that's quite a bit of infiltrating. I remember that in particular because you you beat up all of the Sky Pirates and then just kind of leave them there. They're, they're unconscious. They won't move. And then they all get up again and get in your way when you're trying to catch the Sky Pirates on their way out. Yeah, strange. <laughs> a little too trusting, I'd have to say. Yeah, the kids will give them a pass. <laughs> we're, we're, we're junior bracers, after all. We don't know these things yet. Uh, there's the excursion to an underground cave, which seems to have nothing but strangely colored varieties of penguins. Which are, of course, bloodthirsty savages that you must slaughter. Of course. The whole finale is pretty strong, where you first go through three stages of a tournament, in which it's actually four on four, so that's that's a different kind of tournament. Yeah, well, like, well I don't think a solo tournament will work well with this battle system, to be fair. <laughs> probably, probably just as well. <laughs> I would have to agree. And that you will be able to beat a certain person. Lorenz, the secretive and oh-so-skilled operative, who will then, when you are infiltrating the castle to rescue the queen, beat the crap out of you by himself unless you know exactly what you're doing, because this guy is good. At least he beat the crap out of me. I'm trying to remember first game, because I don't. <laughs> near the end, it's, uh. it's Estelle, Sherazard, and Chloe by themselves while Joshua is leading two other guys on a different mission, and they reach the queen. Lauren shows up. He dramatically takes off his helmet and reveals that he's from the north, and then proceeds to absolutely clean your clock unless you know exactly what you're doing, because not only can he... He's really fast. He constantly uses the spell that 
grants him a damage buffer so that hitting him does nothing for a while. He heals himself, and he, boy, does he dish out the pain. That's Colonel Lawrence. He's not a nice guy. Yeah, I guess then, though. It's a good thing you don't have to beat him, because that's a challenge. Well, there are tricks to it, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, what other major events am I missing? There's the play, where everyone praises Joshua for his astoundingly good looks when dressed up as a woman, which he is not particularly thrilled to hear. Yeah, that's the usual staple of the cross-dressing. Then again, he is 16, and most guys could do it if they wanted at that age. Well, yeah, that is generally how Shakespearean actors works, and that <laughs> all the younger characters played the female roles. Can't have actual women on the stage. Oh, no. Scandals. Uh, let's see, chapter one. Yeah, although yeah, this chapter one was a bit, that was sort of not quite as exciting as the rest of the game, so it, it takes a while to build up story-wise. Doesn't it? it does. There are several tangents that do not fully manifest until near the end. Yeah, it's a slow burner, but sort of when it gets going, it's really good. And as long as we're dealing with that, Exceed took its time and localized this quite well. Yes, At least so I thought so. Yeah, so, uh, well, you have to take your time on this because there's a lot to localize. <laughs> there is, but when you have a staff the size of X, the size of Exceeds, it doesn't help. That's true. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so very good job, I think. Didn't it take, I can't even remember, but I'm sure there are stories about just how long it took. The, the evidence would be how long it's been taking to get the second chapter done, which has at least double the amount of text. Yeah. Um, yes, it's quite impressive how consistent they are with all the localization as well. Cause there's, there's sort of no bits where sort of something gets translated one way or a different way later on. It's all consistent throughout, so kudos there. And speaking of that, or how much better is this than the PSP translated trilogy? Um, yeah. <laughs> Lots, yeah, you- I think we'll say. The short yeah, answer. That's not, exa- not exactly hard, though, considering everyone looked like a <laughs> slap and dash. Although at least still best than Sword Art Online Hollow Fragments. True. Which was Google uh, Translate with spelling errors thrown in as well. <laughs> you know, when I talked to my father briefly about what I was going to be doing tonight, he threw out, why don't, you, why don't you just use Google or some other software translate, and then we'll have second chapter right there. Just showing how little my father has to deal with video games. Well, that hasn't stopped people who deal with video games from saying that. No, and I'm sure if if I desperately wanted to, I could use Google Translate on the second chapter, and I would find out just how good Google Translate is at conveying the nuances of language. I don't yes. need to know how good it is. I, I can make a guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't try anything close to all the possible text options, but after each of the most minute plot developments, every NPC you can access will say something different. Oh, yeah. That's one, well, that's one of the things I sort of already did, actually, so having it in this game was something I really noticed, because I've got, I've got a habit of talking to everyone I meet multiple times. So. Also, every treasure chest has a different message. <laughs> yes, it does. Some of them are, Some of them are kind of blasé. I liked the one that said, Feed me, Seymour! <laughs> oh, yeah, so, someone was going to hit and miss, but you appreciate the effort. Yeah, there's even a Steam achievement. You got every unique treasure chest message, which means 
I thought I was I didn't consciously start looking at all of them until the middle of the game, so that meant I missed a few. I didn't get that achievement. I'm so sad. Oh, fail. But you failed the achievements. I only got forty eight percent of the Steam achievements. One of them was to get every chapter of a story that you can only get in the game if you manage to go back to each individual part. There there will be some NPC that you have to visit, and it'll take a ten-minute walk to go back and talk to the person, and he'll pass on Chapter 7. And if you don't do it within that incredibly narrow window, then it's gone forever. Such, th- such things do happen. Um... All right, we might as well start talking about combat. Well, I just want to get into the discrete bits of the ending. But... Eh, why not? Okay, let's let's do that now so that everybody knows where it is. Joshua confesses to Estelle that he's always loved her. And then, as I recall, he slipped her a drug to put her out because he recognized Lawrence from his past before Cassius adopted him. Well, it's one of the NPCs reveals himself to be a nefarious agent of the organization yes. and basically unlocks his memories which I think yes, he'd he... lost which he'd lost after I think his initial encounter with Cassius in the first place I don't remember if he'd lost them or if he just consciously decided not to ever mention them because he never went on nobody ever did the standard will you ever get your memory back Joshua that sort of line yeah well I think I... he did he definitely forgot them because he got Admiral Force back, but I'm not sure whether that was willful forgetting or. I think it was. I think he consciously repressed them, just shoved yeah. them to the back of his mind, something like oh, that. Oh, it's probably a combination of that and being beaten up by Cassius. <laughs> oh yes, and you know we'll talk about the final boss in a bit, but Cassius will just show up after you have gone through hell to ki- to kill this thing and single-handedly dismember it because he's Cassius Bright and he's just that good. Yep. Joshua will re- reveal that, yes, I've always loved you, Estelle. And then he'll put her to sleep and run off. And now, there's your sequel hook. <laughs> to be continued. Yep. Yeah, because these are lots of plot hooks still unsatisfactorily resolved. Because it was never, they were never intended to be resolved here. Was, I gather this yep. was all intended to be one gigantic game, but Falcom had the choice of either making it so massive that servers at the time that it would be a problem to release at the time or breaking it off into a couple of pieces yeah well i mean even nowadays that'd be such a huge game it's still it's a perfectly understandable decision yeah after you go through all the text in this game you will you will have gotten quite a bit of game okay combat it's kind of tactical i would say you control your movements you you have a gauge on the side to tell you when everybody's going to take the next action Various act- yeah. various defensive or agility increasing actions you can take. Your your attacks affect an area on the screen based on which tile you've moved to. Same with the enemies. Yeah, it's a sort of a combination between traditional turn based and tactical. Just because I think movement isn't so much a, it's not as much of a concern, but it's still there. No, it, it's. it's- I think- Partly because if you sort of spend a turn moving, it's almost like a wasted turn. <laughs> it is. You only spend a turn moving if you can't reach anything else. But you, you sometimes you have a range in which you can move, and it's clearly shown. And if you can't reach anything, then you're SOL. You get to spend the turn doing nothing. I don't think it even affects how quickly you get your next action. 
Um, it might do, but only in the way that I think certain actions increase that time. So it doesn't have that, but yeah, I think it's about the same as sort of a standard attack attack action. Could be. I honestly didn't have enough turns where I had no choice but to just move to make a study of it. And you can use your basic attacks, or you can use your specials, which tend to affect a certain area. It might be a line, it might be a circle, it might be a square. It might... There aren't yeah, many things depends, that affect Depends on the character. Exactly. And... I forget what it's called. Do you, you remember the gauge that goes up to 200%? Uh, I, I know the gauge. I don't remember what it's called. Uh... It's kind of your special attack gauge instead of magic. Uh, if you get if a character yeah, gets it, killed, then it reverts to zero. Yeah, but yeah, it's sort of, it goes up if you hit something or you get hit. Yeah. You can use it to basically interrupt any, any enemy turns and stuff like that, which is very useful. Indeed. Although doing that will drain it completely, and you, you only want to do that if you've got no other choice. Because most of those moves are pretty useful. Oh yeah, but I think it usually goes up quickly enough that you can not worry about it too much. Yeah, especially in boss fights, you will be taking some hits. Yeah, I mean, you can put, in boss fights, you can quite easily get off at least a couple in the fight, so... Uh, yeah, I'll just describe how the Lawrence fight were the one where... Unless you know exactly what to do and are prepared for it, then he's probably going to stomp you into the crew. He's fast. He's really fast. He can often get one action for each of your characters, and you have three at that point. He might attack. He might cast a spell, which it, it, it just grants him a shield against two hits. No matter how strong they are, he'll completely block them. He might heal himself. He only has 6,000 HP, but if he can heal 2,000 of that, then you really need to pile the damage on. Or he might use his special, which is, of course, nasty and painful and inflicts status ailments. There are a lot of status ailments in this game. Or yeah, there's the final the... boss. Yeah, there's a trick to find the boss, which I shamelessly used, in that if you lose a battle in the game and restart, then it lowers the difficulty for that battle slightly. I'm not sure if I should be impressed with myself that I was able to beat it without losing or that it took me 45 minutes to do. It took me about an hour to do, but that's because I lost about six times, <laughs> of, which, of, of which four were deliberate after I just to knock a difficulty level down because so I couldn't be bothered anymore. <laughs> and of course, that is the third phase. The first phase is you beat up the colonel who's in charge of all the badness. And yeah, he's, he was easy enough. <laughs> yeah, he has a couple of mechanical friends which you have to kill, but you can do it. It's not that hard. And of course, it turns out that the colonel, he doesn't remember what he was up to. Hmm, could someone else have been orchestrating things behind the scenes? Maybe. You beat him up, and then deep in the ruins you find, oh, you, you, ha- you activated the ancient security system. Why do these ruins always have a fully functional security system? And it turns out to be a giant robot with uh, two extra pieces, one of which is immune to physical attacks, one of which is immune to magic, but, you know, that part wasn't too bad either. Yeah, that's fine. It's probably for the same reason that in Dragon Quest games, there's the medical herbs are always stored in the back of very dangerous caves. If someone's sick in town, you know they're going to need a, med, a special medical herb that's only found in the back of that cave over there, which, by the way, is filled with monsters. I mean, who in the hell was the guy who stuck it in the back of the cave to begin with? You know, and if he could stick it in there with all those monsters in there, certainly he can go and get it back out. That's all I'm saying. Just putting that out there. 
Here I'm just going to say that because these ancient ruins are clearly in great shape, no dust, all of the all of the gadgets appear to be working fine, even though the civilization died out a couple thousand years ago. Why wouldn't the security system still be operational? It's clearly operational in half of the chests you go into in that place, with a boatload of monsters that you have to kill. Well, it's, clearly, it's clearly self-maintaining. Yeah. It's such an advanced civilization, they... Well, that's probably why they died out. They made such an impressive technological wonder that it didn't need any human intervention from that point. Yeah, and then the machines took over. So you beat phase two, and then, of course, that's not the end of it. The security system uh, activates the now I'm serious phase. And now it's a robot with 20,000 HP, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, you don't fight much that's over 10,000 HP in this game. Yeah, in this game, that's quite a bit. (laughs) And, of course, it's not alone, because it will keep popping out these annoying little sentry robots that individually aren't tough to kill, but... If you let them get close to the boss, they might heal it, or they will just annoy you by spamming lasers around the field or just getting in your way. And, and of course, the boss is fast enough that it will dump out a ton of these things or will use its horrible, nasty, attack-the-whole-screen move, which you just you need to look at on the, on the turn order meter and be prepared for as best you can. And then that will take you a long time to kill. It certainly did us. And then you get the fourth phase, which is pretty much a joke, but by this time you're probably sick of fighting this stupid thing. It doesn't have any moves left. In fact, you're just beating on a defenseless enemy, but it's still got 5,000 HP, so it'll take a few times. And then Cash is... Or did he show up to knock it down and immobilize it? I don't remember right. Uh, he might have done. Uh, you know, he's always say he claimed credit for the hard work. Well, yeah, because, of course, after you beat the crap out of this thing, it just gets up and is about to carry on after you're beat to hell. And then Cash comes in and cleans his clock without even a battle screen. He just does it on the, right there. Cash just doesn't need to do, to do the standard battling thing. So, yeah, the final boss takes a while. And I killed every damn thing that I could in the final dungeon, so I, I was not underleveled. Yeah, the difficulty tricks. <laughs> Useful for that one. I didn't. I didn't know. And all right, the skills you can use with that gauge are set for each character, but the magic you can use is most assuredly not set. Uh, yes, you have the orbit system. This involves there are six different elements governing the orbs that you can acquire after battle. You turn these in, not at the bracer guild. You turn these in. I can't remember. Uh, right the orbit something, I think. Orbment Factory. That let's just call yeah, it the Orbment Factory. That sounds right. Really. <laughs> Every town has one of those. You go to the Orbment Factory. You create new orbments, new orbs based on whatever elements you have enough of. And of course, there are orbments of the same type but better that you can get later in the game. And you can mix and match. You have a total of six slots on each character, and some of them are reserved for certain types of elements. But Estelle in particular, I remember being a blank slate. You can just put whatever elements you want on her. And if you put a bunch of water orbits together, then you're going to be great at healing. You have water spells. If you put a bunch of fire together, you're going to have a lot of attack spells. If you put a bunch of air together, air governs agility-increasing spells and wind attacks and whatnot. 
And some elements don't get along very well, so if your effectiveness will be decreased, some elements get along really well. I remember I gave Joshua whatever the dark element is. It has a, a great spell that ignores all affinities and just does a, a, str- a good amount of damage to everything. And Joshua is fast enough that he was able to use it constantly and kill things with ease. Yeah, that's sounds- um, Estelle is also pretty fast. I seem to remember giving her a lot of wind stuff, and if you put enough wind on, then you get the... I can't remember the name of the spell, but it affects a large area, and most things are not strong against wind, so it did good damage to everything. Yeah, I do remember Estelle being quite quick without help, so, yeah. <laughs> and there's an awful lot of flexibility with this. If you, if you don't like having fire spells, then just... Oomph. Get, all, get rid of them. Get some water spells. And the orbments also affect your stats. If you put a bunch of fire on, then your your raw attack goes up, but your defense goes down, so you can either counteract that or just be prepared to have a glass jaw. And, of course, later orbments take more orb material to make. So occasionally you will need to hunt certain types of enemies to be assured that you get the right orbments, but it's, an, it's a good system. I liked this. It was very good at... Encouraging me to mix and match with my characters and get just the right setup. Yeah, yeah. I think the orb stuff also because you get all the the materials for, or or the drops from enemies rather than so you don't get cash from enemies. You just get the orb stuff, so you can either use it for orb stuff or sort of sell it for cash. Yeah, otherwise you're set. You're dependent on the rewards you get for completing your, your bracer jobs. Which is usually just about enough, but it's handy to have the cash backup definitely especially if you want to get a few restorative items because i remember those running up a, a nice tab if you want to fill out your stock oh yeah <laughs> um any questions phil mm, no sounds like you guys have covered a lot of the bases there well i guess we should touch on the visuals then i'm looking at it doesn't look like a playstation 3 game well, you know what? That Idea Factory game, which I shall not name right now, also didn't look like a PlayStation 3 game, and it was on there anyway. But this game, okay, it doesn't strain the hardware. So what? It looks good in the I like sprites when they're done well, and and Falcom does them well. It, it really is a almost kind of a lost art, unless, of course, you play Disgaea games, and then you get all the sprites you can want and then some. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily care for isometric view, and there are a few spots where you're stuck at the isometric 45-degree angle, but most of the time you've got free reign of the camera, and I like that. I like being able to tilt the camera whichever way I want, because Falcom, in its deviousness, included a lot of things in the corners and whatnot that you will need to tilt the camera to see. How yeah, dare the, it? The, the standard, it's hidden, but not... A- not actually if you were standing where the characters are. Oh, that's so evil. <laughs> now I don't want to play the game that reminds me of Dragon Quest Four. Oh, the DS. I can't tell you how many hours I wasted in a monster mansion because I didn't see the door on the other side of the castle. Well, you know what, Phil? The enemies in Trails of the Sky are not random. You can see them. Well, geez. Um, according to some of our forum posters, that right there makes it instant gold. I wouldn't say instant gold, but unless you really, really stink at maneuvering around enemies, then you generally have a choice of whether you're going to fight. 
I, I admit some of the corridors are kind of narrow, and if the enemies spot you, then they will chase after you a little bit, but it's generally pretty easy to move past them if you don't want, feel like fighting at the moment. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. know what that's like on my sixth Dragon Quest game now. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know. If, and, well, Phil, yeah. you still won't know what it's like by the ninth Dragon Quest. No, I won't. That's That's the beauty of the series. Maybe by the tenth, but we don't know anything about that. Well, well, uh, yeah. Well, I would think you'd be able to see those in enemies by virtue of the fact that it's an MMO. But who knows? Uh, they might stick really true to the series and say, you know, it may be an MMO, but damn it, you're still gonna get random enemies that just pop up and break your screen. Cause dang, now, but it's Dragon Quest. Maybe that's yeah. what it's just as well you can avoid the enemies in this one, like, cause you got to do quite a bit of going back and forth between places. My favorite. If you give the enemies a fair shot, they're actually pretty strong, but if you make a point of always hitting them from behind and getting the first strike, then you can usually kill them by unloading at the start of the of the fight. Yeah, which is what pretty... I usually did. Yeah. <laughs> Except for those treasure chest enemies, because those, those, those little jerks just start on an even footing with you, and that means they can hurt you pretty hard. That's that's very rude of them, having a it's chance. Always, it's always unfair giving them a fair chance. Very. I should be able to rip them apart without getting hurt. How dare they? And then there's the music. I like this game's soundtrack. Yeah, all of the series soundtracks are on iTunes, and I recommend buying them all, because they're all great. I understand that's par for the course with all the Falcon games I've played have certainly had good soundtracks, and this is no exception. Yeah, yeah, sort of it's the Falcon sound team. is very consistent and very good. I'll mention a few. I liked. I very much liked the ta- the the mining towns theme. Of course, I can't remember the name of it right now. But anybody who's played it knows what I'm talking about. I liked the special battle theme heard in the arena, and the special battle theme you hear while fighting Lawrence and a couple of other late game bosses is really good. Not much voice acting except in battle, where you know what? It's fine. I you don't hear enough to really make a judgment as to whether the performances would stand up in any other venue, but they do the job when announcing their attacks, and I, I seem to remember Estelle saying, piece of cake, an awful lot after I won every fight. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's the same localization as used in the PSP, so... I think what there, a I shame. Think there, I think there was never going to be any uh, amount of voice acting from that version when the game was that big already. <laughs> you know what? I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not a game that actually needs voice acting to sort of help with the story or anything like that, because it's so well written. That... Yeah, I can, can I can make mild complaints about the story, like uh, everybody who's over the age of Estelle and Joshua is somehow consigned to the dustbin of, oh, you're really old, but yeah. <laughs> each character is really well realized, comes across as an individual, and... Before the plot as a whole gets going, the character d- interactions are what you're paying attention to, and they're quite good. Yeah, well, I mean, even the NPCs have backstory. <laughs> yeah, even that that random guy who's just wandering around in town will change his story multiple times. What else is there to say? What do you think, Phil? What are we forgetting? The center of the universe and its belly button? I don't think we were going to try and cover that tonight. Well, fine. Then maybe. <laughs> Am I forgetting anything that you immediately remember, Alex? Um, not really. This setting, but 
I think that's all been covered else. So. I guess, yeah, there was a, a war ten years ago. I for, liberal, liberal. Yes, that is the name of this country, and it always okay, struck I caught the bell. Liberal. Yeah. It it always struck me as funny looking because I keep thinking there should be an extra e in there. No, an a. It it just looks like the word liberal with the a taken out. Well, yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure gave Exceeds translators no trouble, no small trouble with spell check. Uh, ten years prior, that is what that is what happened to Estelle's mother. She died during that war when yeah, the surrounding the, empire, and of course it is an empire. Yeah. I'm sorry, attacked yeah. and Cassius was instrumental in leading its defeat because he developed some amazing stratagem that booted it out. It was a month long war, so, no, a hundred day war, I think. And that is the that is the reason for the plot, at least as the Colonel Colonel Alan Richard. That is how he was ensnared into this plot by seeking weaponry to guarantee that his nation could continue to survive because it is surrounded by enemies and cannot hope to compete by conventional military means. So before it is revealed that he was actually under the control of somebody, his plot made some sense. It was not just this, the ravings of somebody who wanted to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> but something tells me we'll learn a lot more about that whenever the second chapter appears. Yep. Yeah, I know. This, is, this is a series that keeps going in its setting for long, for a few more games. I think it's about five more games after the second chapter. All of which take place in basically the same world, but sort of different parts of it. Because I know Joshua and Estelle appear in later games. But yes, lots more to this place. Although whether we'll see it is a different matter. Yeah, our, our rate of Falcom releases over here is unfortunately pretty small. Yeah, yeah, we're a bit behind, and it's. <laughs> I know what you forgot. You forgot the price. On Steam, it is nineteen ninety nine. Of course, if you had bought it, like you know, I don't know, a few days ago on the Thanksgiving sale, you probably could have gotten it for like two dollars and change. But what if you want the PSP copy? But uh, listen to y'all talk about it. it's probably pretty similar because you can get off of the PlayStation Network store. I'm pretty sure. Also, I've got four copies of this game. Yeah, I've got my copy. A while well, back. I've got I've got the US collector's edition, the UK collector's edition, PSM version, and Steam version. Dedication. So, yeah. Dedication. I like the game. Well, yeah. Did, in case we didn't make that clear, this is a good game. Worth twenty bucks. Very much so. Yeah. There you go. Um. Okie dokie. There's also a few art books out in English which are pretty good, although they do contain sort of details for other games in the series as well, so lots of spoilers, but also prettiness. Hmm. Well, okie dokie. Well, I think we're ready to take a little break, and we'll be right back with the RPG Trek segment.
welcome back. This is the RPG Trek segment where I take you through my Trek, currently through the Dragon Quest series, currently up to number five, which happens to be called Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride. This was uh, released, or this was developed, first of all, by... Ooh, let's take Art Piazza for the Nintendo DS, published by Enix Corporation and Square Enix, uh, released on the Nintendo DS in North America on February 17th, 2009, originally way back in the day, September 27th, 1992, on Super Famicom in Japan only. This is a single-player RPG, multi-generational extravaganza, Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride. So, uh, yeah, this is now the fifth Dragon Quest game, which I've played in about as many months now since I started the Trek. And, uh, oh boy, has the series come a long way from being a single hero out to save the world. Uh, you are now <laughs> a single uh, hero going through generations who eventually family joins up and helps you to save the world. Um, so, uh, let's geez. Gosh, where do we start? You start off as a kid, actually, right? Ten, ten years old, eight years old, something like that, with your, with your father. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how old he was, because you know, with Dragon Quest games, you have a single size sprite for all the kids, and it could range from four to eleven, I guess, anywhere around there. Exactly, and uh, it was pretty cool because um, you know, Dad's taking you across the land. He's kicking monster ass on the way. You actually go into a combat screen, and you're like, do you want to attack? I'm like, okay, attack or defend. I'll attack. You do two points of damage. Dad attacks. Dad does 82 and a half points of damage. Dad it's wins. It's dead. Yeah, it's dead. You leveled. <laughs> like, yay, riding, riding on Dad's coattails. Woohoo! Uh, so that was hilarious. Um, the first the first eight hours... Well, it certainly made you look up to Dad. Oh, Absolutely. The the first eight hours were 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 really cool. They were lessons in just how horrible parental care is in these medieval times. Because I was able to walk up to store owners, buy weapons, walk right past guards into dangerous caves filled with monsters, and leave towns in the middle of the night to go roaming around in haunted mansions full of dangerous, deadly ghosts, wizards, and other necromancers. And, uh, you know, and do this multiple nights in a row and not really get caught. So, uh, yeah, I, I learned that parental care in these fantasy worlds, just not all it's cracked up to be. Phil, it's clear that if your parent is tired at night, then he won't bother to pay any attention. He won't put any locks on the doors. He won't bother to ask anyone the next day, Hey, did you see my son last night? I swear he was doing something. No, it... Whatever happens while he's asleep might as well not have ever happened as far as he's concerned. Mm. And um, suspension of disbelief notwithstanding, it was actually a, a very uh, entertaining. Uh, the, the first eight hours kind of reminded me of the first eight hours in Dragon Quest IV and the fact that it felt refreshing, um, original. I, can't, I couldn't wait to see what the game was going to do. Uh, next, because it was cute, it was off the wall. Um, as you're going through um, each town or each little adventure, it was always like, "Well, how's the game going to handle 
this. Oh, I see. You know, it was just it was pretty cool. Um, eventually, at the uh, the end of the the first act, and there's not official chapters like there are in Dragon Quest Four, but the game naturally divides up uh, due to the generations or the years, the decades, I should say. Um, so your first decade of life, your second decade, and your third decade, uh, it's pretty well divided with cutscenes. So by the end of the first act, uh, you know, old uh, old dad lays out a line and dies for you, uh, essentially, as the monsters hold you ransom, which I always thought was not dad's brightest moment, because after all, if, if, if you lay down your weapons and you let the monsters, uh, the bad guys, kill you, dad, uh, really, what makes you think they're going to keep us alive? I mean, why wouldn't we be next? Uh, just kill us off just in case we're potential heroes that can stop the evil in the future let's just say uh but but that's what dad did in his infinite wisdom um that first uh, and then the second act opens up with with the hero uh being 10 years older uh with one of his friends in uh in kind of a slave uh quarry and uh and there's a very nice sequence of of what what goes on in there um, a decision you have to make, an eventual, probably a false decision, but I probably made the right decision anyway, so I, I didn't test the bad decision. Uh, and then, uh, and then eventually you, you ship out it and the, the game kind of opens up. Um, and, and for me personally, uh, Mike and I have kind of gone back and forth a little bit on this on Twitter and stuff or chit chats. Um, I think like the first dozen hours or so, I was super having fun. And then it just kind of started to slip for me a little bit. Um, as uh, as it, in my opinion, the game started pushing my suspension of a disbelief. Eventually, <laughs> uh, you're forced to choose a wife. You come into a town where everyone talks about marriage. It's all everybody in this town cares about is getting married. Uh, so much so that there is a rich guy in town who happens to have the Zenithian shield, which you know you need, uh, but he's only willing to give it away if you happen to, uh, to marry his daughter. But, uh, you know, to do that, he's going to have a contest uh, for all the suitable bachelors because that's the best way to pick a, uh, a spouse for your daughter is to hold a contest to get some ring out of a cave somewhere filled with monsters, of course. Um, so, you know, after you do uh, – as you're doing that, you run to your old childhood friend and, and there's another girl that enters scene. Long story short is, is at the end you got to pick one of, of three girls, uh, two of which are actually his daughters and then one of which is your childhood friend. And uh, you know what? If you pick the childhood friend like I did, you know what? He's okay with that. You know, these people in this town, as long as you get married, whole oh boy, they're happy. You don't get married and the whole game will stop. Because there is no way to live a fulfilled life as a hero unless, of course, you've got a ring around your finger um, and a significant other. So, uh, but uh, get married to anybody, anybody at I all. Wonder if there's, I wonder if there's a subtext to this, Phil. I just, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you're going to get married. Uh, so um, it, it was getting a little hard for me to swallow uh, at times because it was just so... I mean, granted, this is a this is a fantasy RP JRPG, and from the '90s, there's going to be some plot lives that are a little contrived and forced, and all that other fun stuff. But this one was really shoving it. I mean, you run to the girl, and she's just immediately throwing herself at your feet. I would just love to get married to. Oh, don't don't mind me. I just I was just I was just dreaming out loud. Um, yeah, those those types of cuts 
scenes. So, uh, yeah, within 40 minutes of meeting this chick, you're marrying her. And about 40 minutes later, she's pregnant. You're like, I, I did not touch you. We, we didn't even sleep in an inn together. How in the hell did this happen? It wasn't me. Uh, and uh, it was so funny. Um, uh, my bro and I are playing this at the same time. So in one of the cutscenes. You're, you're, as you walk into a town, and this is not very long after you actually get married, um, depending on how long, I guess, you spent wandering around the world just searching for crap and doing random encounters. For me, it was really literally maybe an hour, hour and a half of gameplay. You're in this town, and the cutscene is you walk in, and your wife, uh, after climbing this big, huge mountain, by the way, which does... You know, it is a tough mountain. Uh, you get to the top. In fact, I had to retreat once or twice uh, due to deaths in a party. Um, it was pretty tough. Uh, when you get to the top, she she swoons and she collapses, and 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 your protagonist is mute, as in every Dragon Quest game, which is in this particular case does not work out well. When you're talking about I'm getting married, family members, loved ones, romances, whatever, having a silent protagonist just completely works against the concept. So what happens is everybody else in the town flocks around to this poor woman who's just passed out and hit the ground hard while you stand there picking your nose. Uh, yeah, it's... Okay, alright, whatever. It's a Dragon Quest game. They drag... Well, okay, let, let's, let's imagine for a moment that because the sprites are not at the level of expression that we might desire. Uh, he's actually furiously gesticulating and acting like Harpo Marx right there. It's just hard for I, you know, and I, and I guess, I guess what's going through my mind during all these criticisms you hear is I've either seen Dragon Quest games or similar or, or same generation games do better with 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 Final Fantasy VI, which do, I think Final Fantasy VI was after this game, but Final Fantasy VI showed that you could do a lot more with sprites to show emotion. Uh, hell, if the thing just spoke, if he just spoke, if they just considered the possibility of letting the hero speak in this one, that could probably help. I don't know something. Anyways, not not the worst thing in the world, but they they uh, so all the the townspeople come in and they're jumping around, they're talking, and they're like, "Oh my god, let's get this girl in." What's really hilarious is because I'm so dense. Um, I didn't know what was coming, but my brother, who was already ahead of me in the game. It's like, oh yeah, she's pregnant with twins. I'm like, okay, thank you for spoiling that for me, bro. <laughs> really, I, I I really didn't have an idea. It's like, it's so obvious. I'm like, okay, you know what? Call me dense. I didn't see it coming. But now that you've spoiled it for me, yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe maybe pregnant women are not supposed to go on lengthy mountain climbing expeditions while putting their lives in danger constantly. Well, Maybe that's the secret message. Well, that's the hilarious thing is like she's not showing when she's at the top. She just she just passes out. But it, the game makes it pretty clear that she's not really really showing. By the time you make it down to the mountain uh, and you make it to that town, she has to go on on bed rest at that point. And then you're told to go to another gosh darn cave temple, whatever the hell, to get some medallion to prove that you're the king. Uh, you go there, you come back. She's ready to give birth. It really is that quick. Um, so that that kind of brings me to another thing is like certain points of the game, it does a really good job of transitioning time. It does a cut scene or something along those lines that makes it clear that years or months or whatever are passing. At other times, you're just supposed to figure out, I guess by the fact that I came back to town, she's having the kids, was my cue that somehow my journey to get my golden medallion took 
you know, nine months. months. Yes. And I'm just, I'm just like, whoa, okay. I didn't even hit the night. You know how Dragon Quest games have day and night cycles. I'm like, I didn't some even hit. Do. Yeah, some this of them do. Does. Yeah. I don't think six does, right? Because I, I don't think I've seen it hit night in six yet. No, six has the, the two. Uh, two the worlds. Two yeah. Work things. So they figure they didn't need it. Could you imagine two worlds and a day and night cycle that you'd have to switch, check for every town? Yeah. I can I, imagine it. Yeah, I can imagine the budget for that too. I can imagine it not being fun, um, having to try to talk to every NPC to do to figure out what to do next uh, would 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 not be very fun. No. Um, so at this point, between the fact that I pretty much felt like I'm marrying, you know, the whole marriage thing felt kind of forced. The, the pregnancy thing was was super rushed, and then she has she as she has the kids at the same time that you're getting crowned king again. The the whole timing factor in my head doesn't work out, but. But they're but you're being crowned king. She has the kids, and everyone throws this party, and this party is just so awesome and so good that even the guards who should be guarding with their life are drinking, and everyone's drinking. And of course, the punch is spiked because no one thinks to test the king's drink before the king drinks it because we don't do that. So so everyone gets pretty much knocked out and while everyone's knocked out your 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 wife who has just given birth like literally 5 minutes ago who should not be able to walk is kidnapped by the monsters who don't care about her health whatsoever anyways. Um the, thankfully the babies are are kept safe. Uh so you being the silent yet furious protagonist um shoot off after her. Um, to to go save her and in going and doing that and facing the bad guy, you're turned to stone. Now this shows and this she, she's turned to stone too. Oh yeah, yeah, you're both turned to stone. And this is another great transition. As you transition to Act Three, which is another decade later. But this is another great transition. Just like the end of Act One, the end of Act Two, it was just fabulous. It was great being a statue. I never knew being a statue could be so bloody entertaining. I just it it was great. I, it was just hilarious, and uh, yeah, you gotta do yourself a favor and just become a statue. It, it's just great. Uh, it, it was it was just it was just so so funny. Um, at that point, uh, Poncho yeah, that, that, or that was a very eventful life in the sta- of a statue. It was it was hilarious. I just you know you get to see you get to see life from the prospect of a statue in a fantasy world. It's. It's it's great who, who uh, a statue that gets bought by a rich man and um, how he praises the statue and then blames everything on the statue. You know, the statue can't really argue, so the guy gets to blame everything on the statue. It's great. It's hilarious. Uh, and well, <laughs> it, let's face it: even if you weren't a statue, you wouldn't be arguing with him. It just works a lot better as a statue. It, it, it's it's hilarious. Yeah, you're right. Either way, you're a silent protagonist. That's hilarious. I never thought of that. Um, yeah, either way, it really hasn't changed anything, has it? That is funny, Mike. Um, you get the gold star on that one. So, so thus begins Act Three. You're you're by this point your twin children, the boy and girl. They're uh, eight, as I recall. Well, and that's you know you and I talked about this a little bit. And I recall them being, you know, saying eight years at the beginning, but then later on, Mike, um, I think it was like in the last two hours of the game, uh, somebody else finally get mom back. Yeah, yeah, and and it was was, it was very clear. It was made very clear they're ten years old at that point. So somewhere in between the kids saving you and you getting up there, two years. It took two years to find her. Yes, it took two years to find. Again, the transition of time just a little wonky. Uh, Well, you saw how quick the bumps went past. Yeah, well, you know, 
just pretty much presume in this game, boys and girls, that every tile in the overworld is taking you like a gosh darn month to cross. <laughs> uh, that's the only way this game makes sense. Uh, yeah, just just think of it as if you are in fact traveling in the olden days when it took three days to move sixty miles because you're you're either walking it or you're taking. Uh, a horse and buggy, which of course cannot go where the roads aren't, and there generally aren't any roads, so you're you're not moving fast. And and, and heaven forbid you're using the flying um, blanket or whatever flying carpet <laughs> and or zoom spell. You still need to pretend that those months have passed. Doesn't matter how you got there; it's months or years. Just just make it up. Um, the the game makes a lot more sense at that point. Uh, yeah. So uh, you get the you eventually. What's really hilarious is is so the kids wake him up, and now he was frozen and he was trying to save his wife. Kids wake him up and and talking since he can't talk himself. He you know you have to just basically talk with other NPCs and uh, hopefully they hit you know your concerns on the head. And one or two might have mentioned your wife. Oh yeah, we've been looking for her. We can't find her anywhere. But hey, don't you want to look for your mom? Uh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Dad told me mom was dead. At the end, by the way, when dad died, he mentioned, oh, I think she's still alive. I just lied to you all this time for no good reason. Um, and then, um, and uh, and here we are 20 years later. Now, now the last memory I had that was very fresh in my head was my wife being turned to stone, or one of us got turned to stone first. Uh, but yeah, really bad situation there. If I'm still alive because my kids just saved me, she might still be alive somewhere too. Is it just a stone? I got the kid that can turn stone to flesh. Uh, let's do this. Let's find my wife. No, 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 no. We're going to stop and search for the mom who's been gone for at least 30 years at this point. Um, yeah. Was there, did anybody ever say that we don't have any leads on your mom? That, yeah, that was pretty – well, yeah. The, yeah, we've been searching for your mom. Having fa- uh, oh, your mom. Uh, leads on the mom. Uh, well, there had to be some lead because I knew where to go next, uh, and I can't remember exactly what it was. But well, for whatever – so whatever because you got a lead on mom and you don't have a lead on your wife. Well, what the hell? Let's go after the 30-year-old missing woman, uh, the 30-year <laughs> missing woman instead. So yeah, you end up going to that town and, and following that uh, trail for a while. And ironically enough, I think you still end up finding the wife before the mom. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure you find the wife before – I think so. Anyways, it's all at the it, end of the game. Yeah, although as I recall, it, it fakes you out a little bit by uh, – Teasing that you yeah. found your wife, and then she's actually a fake, and you get into a fight for, first before you find. Well, I think her that was a mom was the fake. I think mom it- turned into a monster. Yeah, which that was in one of my criticisms in my blog. It's like there that was another thing. So yeah, at one point there's an evil cult, and it's actually got ties into one of the NPC stories, which was kind of cute. But then when you get there, and you you kind of expect to, what you're going to see, you see your your mom's up there leading this evil cult well it turns out that it's not it's not really mom it's a monster leader whatever boss demon whatever the hell i'm like what was i I, i'm still trying to figure out what the point was of the monster looking like mom before i got there i just that didn't fit too well in the okay whatever it's a dragon quest game that that's that's (laughs) our reason for everything uh eventually uh you do make your way to a uh the big uh the big boss who has the coolest font ever in a DS game. Uh, I love that. I don't remember what it looked like, but I remember it was unique. It was very unique. I took screenshots. Uh, it's up on my blog if you want to go see it. It's it's really cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah. 
yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting multi generational experience. Uh, so part of the game too is you can you can recruit monsters. Uh, this was, uh, as far as I know, I believe this is the first game uh, that you could recruit monsters as part of your team that ever came out. Um, as such, um, you got to admire it for its place in history. But it seemed like to me, uh, you know, I mentioned this in my review, it seems like to me that there were so many potentials for this game that it didn't quite reach the potential. But you, you do have to recognize its place in history as doing a lot of, of, of these things first. So it's the first one to have monster collecting. But the monster collecting, for me, it was kind of hit or miss. Like, at one point, I said I need some more healing. So I'm going to get a Curie Slime because I keep finding them in this cave. Dude, I spent hours in that cave trying to get a Curie Slime to join. And the way it works is if you beat the same monster twice in a row, there's a percentage chance he might join. It's a I, I don't know exactly what the percentage chance is. I'm sure somebody in FAQ has figured this out. All I can tell you is that I spent hours trying to get a Curie Slime. And I've got other monsters who want to join. But dang that, but I couldn't get the uh, Curie Slime. Um, I read an FAQ, and it did say that the Curie Slime is a recruitable monster, but for whatever reason, they didn't like the brand of deodorant I was using. So no Curie Slime. Um, yeah. Phil, that'll teach you you need to switch deodorants when you're trying to recruit Curie Slimes. Yeah. That, and some, <laughs> what, what monsters did you get instead? I uh, I did even I did get a uh, a knight I, I forget exactly what it was, a knight slime I think is what's called the knight guy who rides a slime which actually yeah, the, does have some curing spells so that helped uh, I actually liked uh, I you know I'll say this again I said this with Dragon Quest Four it's all the same game engine by the way four five and six on the DS I love the monster animations and when the knight slime attacks you with a critical hit he actually the, the knight will jump off the slime slime that he's riding like a mount grab the slime by the head and whack you with the slime and then go back and jump back on to his mount that is hilarious um the game is the first one with uh you know basically the first playable pregnancy the first time you can have a kid uh again great idea um it's just that the way it was presented that story was presented was just to me it was very very rushed and i've seen you know, other Dragon Quest flesh things out a little bit better. You definitely have seen other games of that time period, um, a la Final Fantasy V and VI, uh, present a story better. So that was kind of a hit and miss for me. Um, one of the other misses for me was throughout the game, I want to say there was at least half a dozen yes or no choices. Totally not a big surprise when those things come back false, right? If you pick no, it just keeps doing it again and again until you hit yes or nothing happens or the game just stops until you, you come back and say yes. You just get sent away and you have to wander around and eventually you go back and yeah. get off the choice again. Yeah, it's just when you've seen Dragon Quest three do things like in Dragon Quest three, there was a point where the king says, hey, do you want to become... Um, a king and uh, and for me that was like oh you know that doesn't sound like a great decision he's like are you sure and it started to come across as like one of those false choices well eventually he and he was asking differently every time so I felt like you know, I, remember, I think I remember that. He's pretty yeah, persistent about he's it. He's pretty persistent, and you can't eventually win out by saying no a bunch of times, but if you say yes, if you cave in and say yes, you actually become king for a day, and it's this great little, um, for lack of a, it's not really a cutscene, but it, it is kind of like this little side thing that interlude. goes on. Interlude. Yes, thank you. 
And it's really cool. It doesn't, you know, back in those days, you can't have, couldn't have multiple endings. There's space limitations. But the interlude was a perfect way to, to handle this yes or no thing without having to develop a bunch of multiple endings or anything like that. So by Dragon Quest V, where they have more memory and stuff, you, you kind of expect, you know, come on, guys. <laughs> How did you miss this? At least on some of these yes or no decisions make them interesting. Um, there was one in particular where – so stupid me. You know, the thing with riddles and jokes and, and uh, puzzles and RPGs is if you get it, it's satisfying. If you don't get it, like Phil, because you're stupid, it can be frustrating. So there's an NPC that you come across in the story um, who helps you out, and his name is Dr. A. Gone. And um, – it, it, you know, stupid, stupid me. Uh, I did not put that together to see that it clearly spelt dragon. Dr. A gone. Get it? Ha. Huh. <laughs> what happens is he helps you for a while, but then at some point when you come back to the castle after you've retrieved whatever magic item, uh, there's guards surrounding him from the castle. And they're like, hey, we took a look at the records. You know, we basically looked up his social security card in the database. And this is a false identification. There is no Dr. A gone in our databanks, in our library, or whatever have you. This guy's not a real Zenithian. He is totally a fake. And the guy gives a speech like, hey, I don't suppose, hey, yeah, you know, you just retrieved that magic items. I don't suppose you just give it to me. I mean, uh, you know, I'm like, of course not. Now you're creeping me out because they say you don't exist. I have no reason to trust you now. Maybe I'm playing me so you can get this magic item. And he's like, you know, little old weak me could never take you guys by force. Now he sounds like an evil villain who's curling his mustache. Going, yeah, I can never take you by force. So why don't you just hand it to me? You know, like he's playing me. And I'm like, no. And okay. And that's it. The dialogue tree stops. And, and for real, I started talking to other NPCs. Couldn't figure out what to do next. Really thought he was trying to trick me. At some point, I just saved the game because I couldn't figure out what else to do next. And said, let's just take a chance on this guy because I, I just don't know what else to do. Go back and say yes. Oh, he's really the Zenithian dragon. And I don't know if it was ever explained anywhere why he was changed into a human. Did he lose his memory? Why is he called Dr. A gone dragon? Ha ha. No, it's a Dragon Quest game. Just suck it up and deal with it. We can we can make this really great story about your mother and your bet father and stuff, but that dragon guy, pff, just yeah, like I said, it, it, it just it, it reached really really high, and it did first that uh, it did first for its time that uh, that really you know pushed RPGs, and it should be recognized for its place in history. It's just when playing these games in a row and seeing how you know how there was this upward trend, it just felt like uh, it just dropped the ball in a couple of of places here. That had it hit those notes, I think Dragon Quest V would have ranked right up with Final Fantasy VI as my you know one of my favorite RPGs of the '90s uh, of the you know coming from the '90s. Um, but as it is, it still really is a very very fun game. I think I only got lost once. That I had to fact, and that had to do with that damn magma staff. Stupid magma staff. Every NPC is telling you, oh, it can it can split a volcano. It can move a mountain. Well, if you remember in Dragon Quest IV, you pick up the staff, and Dragon Quest IV leads you very logically to this mountain where you have to use the staff. And, and I never had a problem where, you know, in Dragon Quest IV figuring out what to do with the magic items. But in, in Dragon Quest V, I, I can't tell you how many volcanoes and mountains I kept going around to trying to figure out where to use that bloody staff finally looked at an faq and figured out 
it's always that mountain over there, that little tiny thing. Yeah, that one. So, um, but uh, it was fun. Uh, you know, it's it's a good solid forty. I think it was forty hours for me. Yeah, Dragon Quest Four was thirty. This one was forty. Um, pretty uh, pretty straightforward. Not too hard to figure out. And um, uh, it's uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cute. It, it was definitely worth playing, especially for seeing some of those first. Uh, and I don't even know if there how many how many other games have there been where you actually get to have kids and they join your team. Just I don't know if there's ever been an RPG since then. Ha, can you think of one? Uh, not offhand. Yeah. Some some have incorporated some of these elements, but I don't think any of them over the years have actually tried to do everything that this one does. And as you said, there are it is far from perfect in how it does these things. It could easily be improved upon, but for whatever reason, people haven't been trying. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus, this came out in Japan 22 years ago, people. Well, and I, I've, uh, you know, I, being a someone who's been married for quite some time and stuff, I've often said, you know, I get tired of JRPGs where it's just a spiky-haired, you know, teenage protagonist. It'd be great to have uh, a hero that's a little more mature who perhaps you know is married, and hey, if he happens to go around killing the monsters with his wife, uh, why not? Um, that you know, if that's well written and well done that can be super super awesome in my book um final fantasy 6 showed uh that characters can be done really well and and you can really care about them and there's some romance in that so uh between some of the party members so that you know that even back then that could be done that that could be done really really well um so it children though incorporating your children yeah they did they didn't really incorporate the children though it was it was just romance it was just i'm just saying that you know the the dialogue between the characters made me care about them and their relationship um whereas in dragon quest 5 the relationship between the wife and the husband i absolutely did not really care about her either well apparently my character didn't care because he just stood there silent uh but i as the player was not feeling attached to the characters like i was in four five and you know final fantasy games which were coming out around that time so it just lacked that emotional um attachment that could have been easily handled with some with some better uh writing and and a a little bit uh maybe some cutscenes or something along those lines because it made me care about my father and it made me care about my friend at the quarry. I just thought I thought that that character development was awesome. You have this friend who, you know, as your kids, he's a spoiled brat, and that's shown in the game. It's shown in the way that he pulls pranks, in the way that he runs away, and ultimately, in a way, he's kind of responsible for your father dying. You should be a little pissed at him, but you spend ten years in slavery together, and that makes you grow up really quick, and and so. Uh, the when this friend matures and and, and none of this is ever ex- like what's really great about RPGs is when they don't tell they show okay I don't want someone to tell me yes I've matured because I've been in a slave quarry for 10 years no show it to me through good storytelling and that's exactly what they did with your friend uh, it's 10 years later you they show you the people being enslaved you're actually walking around with them for a while you're talking with the slave drivers you're talking with the slaves and so that picture is painted for you and you're talking with your friend and you're seeing his reaction to the whole situation and then a scene plays out and you see how your friend reacts to it and you get to choose how to react to it it's being shown to you and so that's where Dragon Quest is kind of matching Final Fantasy in, in these brief glimpses like this showing that yes it can do character development it can make you care about the characters it did that with this with this secondary uh, NPC 
So it was a bit of a letdown when I'm going to marry a woman and and I, I really don't care about her because they don't use the same care in portraying that relationship develop, they don't, uh, developing as they do with your friend. It's a real shame. It's just a, a missed opportunity. It just seemed like they could refocus priorities. Maybe it's because they were doing too much when you do this generational thing plus uh, you know plus uh, monster catching maybe because that was a big huge <laughs> thing to add into these games. Maybe it was a uh, you know plus you're doing three decades removed and you got to do different NPC dialogues and stuff for these towns and the uh, you know and how the world might change. So maybe, maybe it was uh, just a, a, a case of a little too 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 much and reaching a little too high but without a doubt <coughs> excuse me i i wrote in my review without a doubt dragon quest 5 is not only well made but qualifies as a timeless classic due to its groundbreaking mechanics um the shortcomings keep it from reaching its full potential and possible status as a timeless masterpiece but make no mistake the epic adventure propels the player with well-written dialogue unique locations and challenging well-balanced gameplay um the, did you use party chat as much as you could you know, I, I'm just not as big of a fan of the party chat as the rest of you okay. all are. Yeah, but yeah, there is the party chat option. Uh, as- I remember it gave me great insight. I chose Deborah, you chose Bianca for your wife, and it, if you just use her mandatory dialogue in the game, then you don't get a whole lot of opportunities to hear her thought process. But with party chat, the wife will definitely come far more alive. <laughs> Well, I think Deborah comes fall more alive based on some of the jokes that you know, because the way she pushes you <laughs> around and stuff. Uh, with Bianca, who's kind of your, you know, your straight arrow townhome, you know, wife or whatnot, she's like, "Oh wow, it's great adventuring with you again. It's it's just it's just awesome. It just it, it was kind of those kind of trade phrases. I won't let you down. Yay! It just yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. I and think I, I have no idea what uh, Nira. Is that the third girl, third wife? Her, I don't know, I, you barely see her before the, it comes time to marry, and her personality seemed even less oh, and, and confrontational her, than yeah. Deborah's. So I have, maybe she comes alive with party chat, maybe she just says a whole bunch of stock things. Oh my goodness, my dear darling husband, I am so glad to be with you, and I will support you in whatever way necessary. Yeah, and hooking up with her just seemed like the heel thing to do because part of that story was that there was this other guy who was a complete weakling who was trying to go into these dungeons and beat you and grab in the rings to win that contest. And he loves her so much, though. He's just going to try. He knows he's going to fail. He's a weakling. Uh, He's not an adventurer. But damn it, he's going to try. And there's some dialogue from her. Not a lot of dialogue, but there's some dialogue from her that that seems to indicate that she does care about him. So it seemed like the heel thing to do. You win the ring, of course. Uh, You get there first, of course. So it seems like uh, the heel thing to do to turn that in. And when your father says, well, who do you want? And you picked her, you know, against her will. (laughs) Arranged marriage. (laughs) Uh, You're stuck, woman. I don't care if you like the other guy. You're getting me. Ha ha. Yeah, that kind of seemed like a heel heel thing. Um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny how Deborah comes rushing down and says, ah, you're going to take me because you know I'm the better woman. Um, if yeah. you had taken her, you might have been using Party Chat a lot. She yeah. said some very interesting things. I think the other thing that was kind of weird about Party Chat too is a l- I don't know how exactly it determines who it's going to pick for chatting, but a lot of times it kept picking my horse. Nay. <laughs> nay. Nay. Why in the beep? Would the horse be an option on Bari Chat if he doesn't? If he's not Mister Ed, if he was Mister Ed, that would be funny. 
but instead he, he literally just goes nay. Uh, the other times, Wilbur, uh, you should be talking more. That would be Why hilarious. Are you leaving me to do all the talking for you? That would have been hilarious. Uh, and then sometimes I get my monsters, which really like the slime knight would go slurp. Uh, you know, which was funny about the first dozen times, and then after that, it gets kind of boring. Uh, so yeah, the party chat. Did your what, what, is, what is his name? The saber cat. You start almost start the game with. Did he say anything? I don't remember. Probably uh, just, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, ran like that. I didn't keep him in the party too long too because his stat growth and stuff wasn't so great. Well, here's another example of something just kind of missing the boat a little bit. So you can recruit monsters in this game, Pokemon style, as I mentioned before. Well. What's really weird is that, uh, you know, as you get into Act 2 and especially Act 3, you, you know, of course, by this time you're pushing to level 20, 25, 30. Well, if you recruit a monster, they always start between level 1 and 10. Sigh. So it doesn't matter if you fought the monster at level 30. He's going to be level 5, let's say. Okay. Well, this wouldn't be a big deal if they leveled like I've seen him level in Dragon Quest 3 where I would change class um and and start off again at level one, but get up to twenty pretty quick. No, it seems like it takes forever for them to get up in levels. Even if you're fighting, you know, really tough monsters in your thirties, uh, with with Dragon Quest three, when you change classes, it seemed like those first dozen levels were almost, uh, you know, one per battle. It would just go straight up. Uh, no, in this game, the climb from like level five to six takes like five and a half battles. From six to seven takes ten battles. From so it takes forever for those guys to catch up. And so the later monsters supposedly have better stat growth, but unless you're extremely patient and or just love to grind, you're not going to give a fly from Farfanugan. You're going to stick with your older monsters that have the higher levels because they have the higher stats. Um, nah, not that that was really a big deal for me. I was using a lot of party member, I mean, family members by that time, anyways. Um, but occasionally, party yeah, members. Yeah, I kept get, my kids in the party once they arrived, and I and they never left. Yeah, I just I, don't I, how I filled the fourth slot until my wife finally came back. But I'm. Well, I think I was using Pablo, or whatever is Sancho. Um, so Sancho was pretty useful. Uh, but uh, I, I occasionally have people die off in the middle of a big boss battle. It was nice being able to jump some monsters in to fill the gap. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't party swapping nearly as much as I was in Dragon Quest Four, though. But with that, you know, uh, the well-written dialogue uh, that I put in here, as you can tell, I'm not super excited about the family dialogue. Or when you get the kids and you do party chat and the kids are like, geez, Dad, it's so swell being with you. It would just be perfect if Mom was here. Uh, okay, gosh, especially since you haven't seen me for eight years and you don't know who the hell I am. For all you know, I'm one of those drunken dads that beat you up during the night. Um no, but uh, but the but the di the great dialogue comes in. I don't want to pass up some of these things we take for granted. Dragon Quest games. I love what was going on in the towns. Uh, the towns have a character all of their own. Each town's a little adventure, just like it is in most Dragon Quest games. So going in and finding out what was going on with some of those towns uh, was was very interesting. And and the dialogue with the NPCs and on the NPCs themselves was pretty uh, pretty well written. Uh, I actually found that uh, more fun than than what some of my family was saying. I admit most of what the kids had to say wasn't revelatory, but it did at least sketch them out further than it would have been otherwise. 
Yeah. I mean, so the the major Dragon Quest characteristics that you come to know and love in the previous games, which for me had to do a lot with, okay, it's an epic quest. We got really interesting towns that keep you interested as you go from town to town, you know, as you're collecting the pieces of armor or whatever have you. Um, a lot of times it's what's, what's really more interesting to me, it was this way in Dragon Quest IV, um, what's more interesting to me for the last half of the game or so isn't really the hero's quest to get the next piece of armor so that you can eventually get it all and beat this big bad evil guy Pfft, that's cliche out the wazoo it was going from town to town and and hearing their little stories and stuff and figuring out what was going on um and figuring out a little bit of the history sometimes so dragon quest 5 still has all of that uh in spades and i felt entertained from beginning uh, to end so i would i would absolutely uh recommend this game i really would despite some of the gripes obviously i've gotten into some details here because i feel like you guys have already heard me praise the dragon quest series and a lot of that still carries over to five so i'm not rehashing all the stuff that it you know that it does right because what it does right is mostly pretty much what its predecessors did right um and where it pushes the boundaries like with the generational thing and the monster collecting those are great ideas it's just the you know flawed execution in my opinion even if you look through the lenses of time with the limitations that they had um they've demonstrated or other companies have demonstrated that they could do a little better uh, but still it's the first time a lot of this stuff has happened so why not go and check it out um it doesn't detract enough from the game to to where it was was bad no 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 actually i would still give it like a three and a half or a four out of five so pretty good and pretty fun so go back and play it because it's cool so now well i did yeah do it again mike uh okay i can dig it out dig it out uh and i think uh you can actually play this on what ios now they've they've got that yeah, they've got that floating I know, out I there. I four is on iOS. I'm, I'm not sure about five. I think five just came out. I could be wrong, but... We can't uh, get seven on 3DS, but we can get five on iOS. We're, we live in truly the best of all possible worlds. Yeah, let me see here. iOS release. It was... Nintendo DS. Android and iOS. Well, that wasn't a very helpful website. But I swear... I swear, uh, Dragon Quest V confirmed for iOS release. This is an article just a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, so if it isn't out, it's coming out really soon. These pop-up ads are making it hard to get to the the final answer here. Um, says no release date yet, maybe in 2050. Okay, so maybe it's still coming soon. Um, but uh, the thing is, if you want to get it for your DS and you haven't gotten it yet, well, you can get like a cartridge-only copy for 42 bucks. Um, 42? Yeah, I found one here with the original case and the manual from a reputable seller that is opened uh, for $46, $47 plus shipping. And if you want it brand new in the shrink wrap, you're probably looking closer to 100 There is one guy, though, and maybe it's because he has a 1,400 rating with 100% that wants 4300 So, yeah. Be- uh... Don't hit the buy it now button on that one, boys and girls. Wow, I you're making me happy that I got it when I did. Uh, me too. Yeah, I, I will say, uh, you know, if you get the used copy with the box and stuff for forty five bucks, I still think that's uh, that it is worth uh, worth that price. I've, I've paid more for games that weren't quite uh, quite as fun as this one. The um, but if you if if you don't have, you this... have to pay for Crossage, oh my god. Um, if you <laughs> if you don't have that scratch, just wait for the iOS version next uh, next year. So, because those games have been coming out at what fifteen bucks, I believe. Dragon Quest Four, I believe, was fifteen bucks. 
uh, on Apple. So there you go. Anything else you can think of, Mike? Uh, is I, how many forms did the final boss have? You, you know, he, he lacked the awesome um, transition of forms that the Dragon Quest IV final boss had. This guy only had two. Ugly and uglier. Well, if I remember right, the final boss of six will bring back some of that. Yeah, the the, 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 the transitional was a little disappointing, but the font did help make up for it. Oh, I think that was the other thing that kind of – one of my little, little little pet peeves. A lot of the bosses were like broken English. I guess they were trying to fake Russian accents or – I don't know. I really wish Dragon Quest games would stop faking accents, really. It, stop it. Stop it, you translating people. Well, Phil, you have to admit it was much better than Dragon Quest Four. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, I mean – you know, I, I failed to mention this uh, – the humor in the game is it, it when it hits it hits really good. There are some really funny, some funny, well translated dialogue in this thing. It, it is hilarious. So don't want to fail to mention that too. There's definitely some hidden humor in these Dragon Quest games, and Five carries on that tradition proudly. Alrighty, well we're gonna take a break. We'll come right back and wrap this up with the final app.
we've returned. This is the final lap. This is where we do everything, like read your comments, talk about tweet tweets, um, tell you what's coming up on the next show, which happens to be RPG Backtrack number 133, Dramatist Persona. We'll be talking about the two, Persona 2 games, Innocent Sin and Eternal Punishment. One of those games feels like Eternal... Anyways, um... We'll be we'll be talking about that on the next show in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, we have some forum comments on our last show, um, which talked about resonance of faith and infinite undiscovery. Mike, do you do you have that pulled up by chance? I do. Let's see here. I think we have XR2 some. XR two gave the said that he played Infinite Undiscovery back when it was fairly new. Really liked the integration of combat with exploration. His best memory, running down a memory, fighting enemies with a dragon, perched on top, slinging fire down. And some of the environments were pretty. On the other hand, he remembers almost nothing about any of the characters beyond the main character and some annoying kids. Yes, I believe Alex mentioned those last time. Also, never could get a handle on when the moon was chained to the planet. That would seem to have a significant effect on what a moon phase means, but never addressed it was like it was a neat idea not thought through at all. One of these days, Triace will figure out that it needs to hire a skilled writer, and XR2 eagerly awaits that day. They're not the only ones. Yeah, I was just having that conversation with another friend. It's just like, if they, you know, these RPGs, so many of them would be elevated so much higher if they just had skilled writers like take some of these guys who write these books and just bring them on your team that's why the witcher is so awesome i brag about the witcher all the time because you know it comes right from the the books it's it's just great uh we have a comment from frank grizzly and he says hey guys before i talk about the actual episode i would like to thank everyone responsible for this podcast as it kicks much but it is hands down my favorite podcast something i listen to every day for the last couple of months or so i'm lucky to have a job where i can basically listen to you guys all day long with some music interjections here and there the podcast has me fully addicted and i've listened to the entire backlog now and i could say it is awesome to have finally cleared one backlog in my life kind of that is that is that is some serious dedication mike uh, we have over 130 shows which average like three hours each that's 400 plus hours uh, i would estimate well if you're you will eventually have the time. I I salute you for having a job where you are able to do that. I I suppose I could listen to podcasts if I wanted to at work now, but you, you don't want to do that if, say, your boss asks you for something and you're too caught up in whatever you're listening to to immediately pay attention. That would be bad. <laughs> I, I listen to podcasts, uh, too, um, but 130 of our shows, that is, that is epic. Well, 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 Phil, if you have enough time... And at work, you do have time. It could be done. It can be done. Uh, but, jeez, uh, uh, I won't read the rest of the gushing here. Or Just uh, Frank goes on to get into more details Except why he likes he it. He does say that the Super Robot Tyson episode is one of his favorites. So oh, we, yeah. have, we have a loud affirmative to that. Yeah, and it's uh, one of Mike's favorite games. So there you go. Um, he does uh, finish up by saying Infinite Undiscovery was a game I played and forgot. I played it in this weird period where I got an Xbox 360 for cheap but hadn't yet bought a PS3. So I played just cause. I like the crafting. Resonance of Faith was a refreshing next-gen game at the time and the battle system was really something to get knee-deep in. And I enjoy most of the weird, quirky, and funny scenario things and side quests you do. On a side note, 
these little taste of quirky Japan, I don't know what to call it, are what I miss most in Final Fantasy XIII, even though I'm still a big fan of XIII for its own merits. Anyways, overall, I say UI is a pass unless you own, unless you only own a 360, and Resonance of Fate is a must-play for sure. Thanks again, guys. Keep it up. Thank you, Frank, uh, for your feedback. We really, really appreciate it. And we're greatly encouraged by positive feedback like yours. We might even be encouraged by negative feedback, but we'd much rather hear positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get kind of like with negative feedback, it's like we get encouraged, but it's more of the whole, well, we're going to keep doing it anyways, you know, type of <laughs> encouragement. We'd rather have that kind, you know, of encouragement. So, um, yeah, yeah, really cool. We have um, what? Uh, if you want to also, if you would like your comments read on the air or you want to also help encourage us, you can do that. You can email JC Servant at Cyberlight Comics or Albert Odyssey at hotmail.com and we'll read your comments on the air. Alternatively, you can tweet me at JC Servant. Uh, Mike is at Jume Sin. Or you can head over to our forums at board.rpgamer.com, just like Frank Grizzly has done. He signed up just to write that comment. Uh, that's another way to do it. If you are listening to our backlog and you have comments or questions or anything about our older shows, always make sure you do that on the thread for the latest show that just went up. Because at board.rpgamer.com, we do have rules against raising up really old threads. So feel free to talk about show like 12 on the thread for show 132. Um, so yeah, awesome stuff. Ooh, let's see here. Let's, uh, we, talked, we talked about the next show, so let's talk about what y'all are doing. Is Mr. Alex still there? Maybe he's on mute. Yeah, just about. There he is. Poor Alex. What a trooper. He's just, he's just hanging in there. Alex, you absolutely deserve some time on the microphone now. What's new with you? What are you playing? What are you doing? What are you doing on the website? What is new with you? Well, it's basically if I'm in the state to born microphone time, but yeah. Uh, what have I been recently? Uh, I finished Dragon Age Inquisition yesterday. Yes, yesterday. Can and, you do a second opinion, or does Mac pretty well speak uh, for you? Mac, Mac pretty much speaks for me. It's a ton of fun. Not quite as awesome as Origins, but a lot more awesome than Dragon Age 2 was. So, yes, but back to form, I think. Awesome. Is is the battles are so the battles um t- you know like and I'm just I played one for a while and those felt tactical to me and then I saw the reviews for two and they looked more like an action RPG twitchy thing. Uh what's what's three battles like? Um I think it's closer to two than one. Hmm. But you enjoyed them? Yeah, I enjoy them, but I I do what Mac doesn't sort of play on easy on Western RPGs because I can't really be bothered with Tough battles, so. Well, yeah. I did I, on I did that on Origins because uh, let's face it, I was having enough troubles on Easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I find more fun just wandering about the exploring the world and story and things like that in Western RPGs. So, well, that's what I tell people to do when playing The Witcher. I'm like, just put on Easy and enjoy the story and the fact that you get to make decisions. And, and, yeah, yeah, and that, that has one of the tougher battle systems, anyway. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I start getting it if I put it any harder than Easy. I start getting addicted to potions. So yeah, <laughs> or overdosing on them. <laughs> yeah, that was a ton of fun. Uh, now I've completed that, I'm going to go back into Tears to Tiara Two, which I've I've been enjoying. I think I know. I will be writing a second opinion on that, assuming I don't actually finish it before Wheels writes his review. But 
Just because I know, I'm most likely to say because I know me and Wheels are coming at it from two completely different directions. Because Wheels is the tactical RPG fan, and I am the sort of visual novel style game fan. So we've sort of both got some different opinions there because it's an interesting blend of the two. Hmm. You might be able to put them up simultaneously. Well, it, it's quite, it's a it's a long game, and I think I'm about halfway through. So. I think I still I still got at least twenty twenty more hours of gameplay left, probably more. Now, Tears to Tiara one, that never came out over here, correct? Correct. What platform was that on? Just PC? Um, it's probably PS3 as well, I imagine. But uh, I shall be checking. Bah. Well, there's some connection between the two, but it's sort of it's it's sort of set in the same world, but different locations. But it does. Basically, it uses the map of Europe, pretty much exactly. Hmm. In that you can, in that Sicily, Corsica, etc., are in exactly the same place and exactly the same shape. The Italian boot is right there. Yep. Yeah, it's sort of set in the equivalent of the Roman times. So you've got it's actually sort of. I think TSTR one is set in basically Britain, but it's sort of got the. Roman when Empire. the Romans were there, or later? Yeah, it's got got the offending off the Roman Empire equivalent invasion, but <laughs> yes. Well, the Romans uh, stayed for what four hundred years. I think they did. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, uh, Tears to Tell was PS3 as well. Okay. But also released on PlayStation Four, Sports Data State. Yeah, yes. Um, instead, uh, Tears to Tell Two is basically set in Spain equivalent instead. Also part yeah. of the Roman Empire for a very long time. Yep, and strange enough, you're also fighting against them. But, yeah, but again, it's also fantasy equivalent, so it's not <laughs> not quite the Roman Empire. In that, oh well, yeah, in that, a lot of the mythology is true. <laughs> I think it's it's actually interesting because it uses. I think the first game uses a lot of Celtic mythology, which you don't see so much, and this one uses uh, Phoenician. I think that's how you pronounce it. But. Yeah, I can't even remember what was in Spain before the Romans arrived. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. This one uses a lot of that uh, mythology for its for its one, so it's pretty cool. But it's it's a lot of story in this one. It's it's probably similar to the amount of story was in Trails in the Sky, just basically pure text. <laughs> well, Trails in the Sky also combined that with a lot of uh, wandering around to meet people to talk to and side quests. Oh yes, no. Uh, this is just pure story. Yeah, there's no, there's no wandering around meeting things, because it's sort of just going from next tactical battle to next tactical battle. There's just a lot of text in between tactical battles. <laughs> but it's interesting text, as far as I'm concerned. Others okay. may others may think less so. Well, yeah, I, 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 I was saying something so. about he was falling asleep with all the text. Yeah. What uh, game is this again? Tears to Tiara 2. Tears to Tiara? Yep. That is the name. And what system is that on? PS3. I think you have a PS3, Phil. I do, and I like tactical battles, and I, you know, if it's interesting, I do like walls of text in between my battles. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of politics and stuff like that, so I, I find it interesting. Ooh, and it has an exclusive 31-page art book included, so there you go. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what I've been playing console-wise, tangent-wise. Well, th- th- thank you for bringing that up. So, so the battle, so the battle have really been fun, huh? I like good battles. That's fun. I think Wheels actually really likes the battle system, and I'll defer to his knowledge. Although this is the same Wheels as like natural doctrine. So, 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, I kind of played a little bit of that. I'll talk about that on my turn. <laughs> because he sent, he sent it to me. I have thoughts on this game as well, so... Oh, good. This, this, this one's... Don't worry, this one's a lot easier, Natural Adoption. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah that's what... Console-wise, that's what I've been playing. Hey, um, hey, Alex, I got a question for you. Yes? Do you like dying five times on the first two or three battles? Of a game, no. like the very first few battles of a game. You no, sure? Because so because if you do, I got a game for you. It's called Natural Doctrine. And yeah, strange enough, I tried that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, uh, that's one thing. That's why it's handheld. Wise, I'm basically going through Tales of Hearts R, which I'm quite enjoying. It's I didn't. I've not really liked. I did well. Zidia Two. I really didn't like because it's just meh. Yeah, that's that's my full level of analysis there. But Tales of Hearts are it's a lot of fun. The story's fairly simple as they go, but it's enjoyable. So, yeah. But mm. I think that's been done. That's all I've been playing recently. Anything you've been doing on the uh, site you want to share? Uh, you've been training the, the new Newsies, right? Well, yeah, I've been letting him get on with it because rather than post it all myself, which is, yes, a lot more... <laughs> A lot easier to let him post it. But yeah, New Newsy's doing a good job. I like I like having my New Newsy. Uh, last thing I wrote, I think, was my Freedom Wars review just a few weeks ago. I really like that one. But yeah, go check that one out. Uh, yeah, as I yeah. recall, you, you sent that around for proofing and I was at work, which makes it very hard to prove anything. Uh-huh. Let's see. I guess it's my turn now. Yep. <laughs> Well, yeah, I understand that I I recently reviewed something which uh, is on many people's radar. This, this Persona Q thing. People seem to have heard of this. I can't imagine why. No, uh, strange that. <laughs> yeah, you are among those who has heard of this thing, I believe. Yes, it is my next Tanto game after I finish Tales of Hearts. Or... Now, you have not played any Etrian Odysseys, correct? That is correct. Okay. Well, since I haven't played every Etrian Odyssey, I can't necessarily compare it to the earliest of them, but the dungeons definitely offer lots of opportunities for the characters to have a skit and interact with each other, and pretty much every single level of the dungeon is going to involve some interesting mechanic, so you are not just going to waltz right through them. Uh, You will have to carefully navigate your way around the FOEs, and yes, they call them FOEs, even though that's straight out of Etrian Odyssey. And I recently made the discovery that if you are playing on safety, you actually can get wiped as many... I got wiped three times in a fight with an FOE that kept using instant death spells, and I was able to recover fully with at no cost whatsoever, with the boss retaining all the damage that I did to it. So if you play yeah, on safety seems- with perseverance, you could win against anything, but you may still be at it for a long time against some of these FOEs. They, <laughs> they don't want to die. That in mind. <laughs> and that's, that is a late-game FOE... Now, they won't throw the instant death flinging spells at you early on, I, I think. I, maybe if you play it on the hardest difficulty, they will. And you and you too can get the thrill of game overs every five steps. Yeah, they usually leave it a few dungeons before they throw the light and dark spells at you. And you too can experience in the fourth dungeon the FOEs that look like some kind of Choaniki homage. Big, muscly guys wearing almost nothing. Oh, yeah, well, I'm familiar with Persona enemies, and that's one of the... Those are one of the recurring ones. That's 
I'm not sure if I should be reassured or frightened by that. They're one of the less creepy ones, to be honest. <laughs> well, they're they're big, muscly guys, and they march around a lot. And if they if you get into a fight with them, they will start hitting you. Uh, you, you can you can guess what happens from there. Uh, Persona Q probably could have ended a little earlier than it did for me. By the time I finally got through the fifth dungeon, and probably not shocking anybody when I say that there will be a fifth dungeon, I was ready. And the final boss, now that I know I could have persevered just by abusing the safety difficulty, I might be a little less stressed out, but I didn't know that at the time. I thought I could only survive once in safety, so I expended pretty much everything I had and barely made it past. But I don't necessarily want to talk about that boss right now because that would be spoiler territory and, uh, you know, it's it's fresh out there. People should discover it for themselves. On balance, I had a really good time with it. I sunk cool. a good 70 hours or so into it and most of that was time well spent. Yeah, and I also played and reviewed this other game that a lot of people seem to remember from many years ago. Like you, Phil. Do they remember it fondly? <laughs> well, one of them who first played it two years ago, and I remember his loud assertions on the forum, is that this is one of the best games ever, drew a lot of attention. But most other people do not remember it fondly. I am not one of those who remembers it fondly. After playing all of Beyond the Beyond, I can can loudly and definitively say this is the worst thing Camelot ever did. And it sounds like the most recent comment on my review came from our beloved editor around the site, Mr. Maxstorm, and he agreed with me. He did not finish it. He found it one of the most grievous disappointments in his life, and he returned it to the store rather than finish it. And this was back when PlayStations were new, so he didn't have a whole lot of other options if he was going to play an RPG on a PlayStation. I mean, that was the thing. It was like I got it when you know with the play. You know, you got the shiny new PlayStation. You played Final Fantasy VII to death. No, you, no, no. You, Be- before Final Fantasy VII, I, I like, know. But for me, because I got the I got the PlayStation for Final Fantasy VII, oh. so I had played it to death, and I'm looking for something else. I had did Wild uh, Arms uh, Persona. You could have played the original Persona. I could have, but you know, Beyond the Beyond had cool cover art. It was on sale, looked Japanesey. <laughs> so, and it was on sale. So, I, you know, at this point, it, it was definitely on fire sale. So I went ahead and picked it up, said, hey, you know, this looks like a quaint little, you know, old school RPG. I'm down with that. Oh, the only thing that I got down with was my ulcers. Uh, that that game is just just and horrendous. You, this was eighteen years ago, no, seventeen years ago. So uh, ulcers took longer to grow in your belly. I'm thinking. Well, yeah, because I was like all of twenty years old at the time. You know, so I mean, yeah, ulcers at twenty should never happen. But Beyond the Beyond has that power. It has the <laughs> magical capability of doing that to young people. It's just, it, it, yeah, no, it's horrendous. And and there's defenders on it for the farm. And look. <laughs> yeah, I, I told this to Mike before the show began. Yeah, yeah, I've been, uh, you know, I've been a gamer for, tw- you know, an RP gamer for almost three decades. Well, actually, three decades now. And I've been talking RPGs with people, and there's going to have people who's going to have different opinions with me, and I can respect that. We all like different things, but, uh, but, 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 the, but, but, it, but the defenders of of Beyond the Beyond, 
they're just simply not sane. I'm sorry, guys. I, and I'm saying this with the utmost respect. You, I, I respect your 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 right to have an opinion, but you're insane. It's just the, the game was just evil. The encounter, the encounter, you couldn't even sneeze without hitting a monster. Uh, the encounter rate was so high. The battles drug out, and, and then there was this button timing system that I could never get. It was supposed so, to be like you're the, not alone. It was supposed to be like Mario RPG thing or whatever have you, but... (laughs) Although, it came out in 95 in Japan, so it predated Mario RPG. Maybe that explains why I did it so badly. Maybe it does, yeah. I just... I I couldn't get that to save... But what would piss me off was the monsters would get bonuses. And you're like, really? What what did he do? Did he press the button on top? What, What? That... You don't like it when the monster attacks again and knocks you out, Phil? Why won't you like that? So, yeah, he would attack me again, knock me out, and then it takes me my life points. Uh, No, it was just a pain in the butt. It it was just just evil, Mike, and you shouldn't be bringing up those bad memories. (laughs) There is a show that I have planned in the future where I will go in-depth on Beyond the Beyond. I'm pretty sure. I don't need to do that right now because I will just be repeating myself. Let's see. What can I say about it right now? Um, oh, yes, that, that battle system. Here's how I handled it. I would just mash on the D-pad and mash on the X button, and you know what? Sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. When did it? Why would it work sometimes, and why would it work not other times? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. And if you love battle systems that respond to your random input randomly and let me tell you if you do this enough for every round of the fights because you have to do it while you're defending too in hopes that you might block then your hands are going to start to hurt I don't like that I did that last year with Shining Wisdom where I had to wham on the freaking A button all the freaking time in order to in order to dash I don't need to be smashing the button so often that my freaking hands start to hurt yeah, it's an RPG. If I wanted to slam buttons and have them hurt, I'd go back to the NES and play one of those Olympic games. You know, the kind where you have to keep hitting the buttons really fast to make your guy run faster? Because, you know, that was so much fun back in Olympic the day. Track me. Yep. Track me. There you go. That Because that was just, that was the bomb back in the day. That's what y'all wanted to do, right? No. So or, no. or you could always just go play Mortal Kombat again and get to that test your might thing and then wham on the buttons as hard as you possibly can. Or you could do what the smart people did. Just have a turbo controller, turn it on, and save your thumbs. See, I rem- you can also reminisce what Beyond the Beyond is like a little bit by going back and playing Mortal Kombat and getting the test your might segment, and then just mashing on the buttons as fast as you possibly can. And, you know, if you're hitting the diamond or something, then it probably won't be enough at all. Or you can do what the smart people do. Have a turbo control, turn that on to max, and then, why, you don't even need to test your might anymore, because bam, you win automatically. So maybe I should have had a, ter- a turbo controller on the PlayStation. Or maybe Beyond the Beyond would have responded to that by saying, oh, you're pressing the button too much here. Nope, you don't get to do any special... No specials, no doubles, no blocking, no counterattacks. Not, none of that for you! That's just the kind of game Beyond the Beyond is. It's Beyond. <sighs> uh, yeah, there are... Let's see here. One of the defenders on our forums, and we know he never listens to podcasts, so we can cheerfully make fun of him right now, said that this game keeps the stats low so that you easily understand them, and each stat point is worth more. 
Well, yeah, it does keep the stats low. By the end of the game, I think my protagonist had 79 total HP. That's just thrilling. That's just wonderful. Uh, and he says that it has a really fun battle system that reacts to your rhythmic button mashing. Now, if you strike out really fun... <laughs> and rhythmic. So, yeah, just rhythmic button mashing is a bit of a... <laughs> but, yes, because, because rhythmic is highly arguable. Maybe if you have the rhythm of a drummer who never learned to drum and can't keep the beat, that might do it. Or maybe it won't. Maybe each character has a different rhythm. See, you'll never know. The game never tells you. You'll never know how you managed to get that special attack last time. It's just... And I can't believe he actually said that the characters are all very unique in combat and have their strong and weak points, because this is the same guy who says that he hates having to make decisions about which characters to take into battle, and eventually he'll have eight characters, but only five slots for characters in battle. How did he choose... You know what? He'll never listen to this, so we'll never know. Perfectly balanced difficulty. Boss battles are challenging, but not impossible. Well, that's just... If by not impossible you mean they're doable, yes, he's correct. Because here's the dirty little... None of the enemies, the regular enemies, have more than 100 HP in Beyond the Beyond. The first boss has, I think, 800 HP. The final boss has between 3,500 and 4,000 so yes, there, if you find that fun that you get to do maybe, maybe 100 damage with your strongest turn action and keep pecking at the boss for the next 25 turns. If you find that if you find that challenging but not impossible, if that's perfectly balanced difficulty to you, much luck may you have with it. Much joy may you have with Beyond the Beyond. Now, I know this might come as a surprise to our more seasoned listeners, but there's actually a debate going on on the review thread. As Mike wrote up a review, and every time we do a review, we put up a, a thread on our forums, and there's actually defenders to this piece of steaming crap. This game got a 44% on Metacritic. Now, I'm, I'm the last person to say that Metacritic's the end-all, be-all of you know, how RPGs are rated. But 44%? I mean, the, the industry standard is even crappy games get a 6 out of 10. This game averaged 44 I didn't even know the Metacritic even went down that low. It, it is really bad. And I, I, I just... I, I, it wasn't even worthy to be used as a coaster. I was so pissed with it, I walked outside in front of the highway and flew it as far as I could so that a car cars would just run it over constantly and crush it up into tiny little pieces that couldn't possibly be taped back together and ever played again because that's what it deserved. And yet there's defenders to this monstrosity of a game on our forums. So by all means, go to board.rpgamer.com and join in the great debate of 2014. It's just... <laughs> I, I never knew. It, Seri- may be, it, may be, it may carry over into the great debate of 2015 at this rate. When Mike told me that he was going to play the steaming pile of crap and review it, I said, God bless your heart. I mean, that's taking one for the team. That That's really... That's really living the, the, the nightmare right there. Well, Phil, I gotta say, it's a lot shorter than that Idea Factory game I was playing for so very long. So it it wasn't quite long enough to get on my nerves to that level. 
but you know we're we're really using the most biased of yardsticks here. Here, does this game is this game more pleasant than walking over hot coals with no training whatsoever? Yes. Is it more pleasant than walking over unhot coals while someone is shouting at you like a drill sergeant? Probably not. <laughs> I have just come up with a completely new means of categorizing anything right there. Is it more fun than walking over moderately hot coals? No, it isn't. I just, it's just, Mike, when you said you are going to do a review, I expected it to be a detailed review of a very crappy game, getting a 1 alpha, and that's what I got. And then I, I gave it a 1.5. 1. 1.5. Oh, jeez. Anyways, and then I expected a fourth thread go up and maybe one or two responses because you were like, hey, Phil, I put up the review. And I'm like, well, good for you, Mike. God bless your heart. And I'm, I, you're like, you, and then you wrote to me, you should go check the floor. I'm like, why? So a couple people can say, yeah, that game was a steaming pile of dog do. Uh, and I went over there and there were actually defenders. Imagine my shock. Imagine my surprise. I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I just, no, it's just, they're, they're, no, no, I'm sorry. There is, you know, we live in a post, I, I tell people, we live in a postmodern society where people don't value truth anymore. That's what postmodernism is. Uh, uh, absolute truth is no longer valued in our society. It, it's relativistic morality and, and factuality. Um, but, but, but this is taking it to a whole different level. Seriously, people are hugging this steaming pile of poo and going, mm, it's good. <laughs> I'm almost, almost tempted to get an N64 for the first time in my life and play Quest 64 and review it and see what people say. Uh, I'm wondering... Would, would, would people come out of the woodwork and start saying, Quest 64? Man, why did people dump on that? That was a, that was a really great game. I'm... I'm wondering if, when the angry video game nerd did Superman 64, if there were people trolling those forums going, oh my god, how could you say that game was bad? It was awesome. I just, no. Uh, anyways, uh, anything else you're doing, Mike? Oh, yes. I'm also, you know, thank you for the gift, I guess, of this, Phil. I've been playing Dragon Warrior 7 so that we will be able to commiserate about it together when you get to that in your RPG trek. Um, I'm kind of agreeing with Glenn's assessment right now. This has some good ideas that are filtered through fetch quests taken to an extremist and making you retrace the same ground far too often and slowing everything down even more than the usual dragon quest. The eighth. The eighth island in the game. We finally get a glimmer of the class system. What does it turn into? It turns into... Here, you, oh, you want to change your class? Well, here, jump into this spring so that every... This is what everyone who changes their class does. They jump into the spring so that they can get clean. Ha 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 you fool! You foolish human! Yet another foolish power seeker! We have stripped you of all your abilities, and now you can go join the, the penal town. Wasn't that nice? It took away all the abilities I learned in my whole 20 hours before this. So that now I, I know no spells and no in-battle abilities at all. I have to subsist entirely on items if I want to heal. And and then I wander around the town for a bit, and the local l ruler comes upon me and just, just for the hell of it, because he does this to everybody who arrives, he beats me up. And there's nothing I can do about it. And then somebody comes along and says, Hey, let's get out of here. You want to help me? Here, I'll distract these monsters. Oh, yeah, he distracted them and they found me. And then they beat me up. 
I tell you, it's just so much fun getting beaten up by monsters and you can't do a damn thing about it, isn't it? That I mean, sounds... yeah, 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 you can hit back, but you won't win. It's one of those fights. That just sounds like a blast. So you too will reach this point, Phil. And you can also wonder, wait, I had four characters. Why, why am I down to three now? My meat shield, my muscle man fell in love in one of the most perfunctory bits ever. And now he's gone. Wow! So now I'm without my meat man, my muscle man. Thanks a lot, game. <laughs> I I didn't see that coming, but you two should know this, Phil, so that you don't waste stat up items on him. No, if I, I, I known he was going to leave. I wouldn't have pumped all those agility enhancements into him. A little, a little, uh, a little game pro tip for Dragon Quest games, boys and girls, that I learned. Oh, jeez, I don't know if was it four. Uh, is uh, is all those? Uh, no, it was actually two or three. All those stat boosting items I save for the very end because after getting frustrated with the class system in three, I finally broke down and read an FAQ of how the stat system works. What I was telling you, I was wasting my time uh, building a sage from a jester. So it turns out that the um, that you know the stat growths are averaged out. The game. The game has in its little bunny brain what stats you should have for class at a certain level, and if for some if for some reason you're above that, either because you rolled good numbers at early levels or because I don't know you used a bunch of stat boosting items on a character, well, that just means the game's not going to give you any stat points for the next five levels. So essentially, you've wasted your stat items. So it's best to wait until the very end of the game, right before the big boss, if you need them, dump all those items at that point where you're not going to level up anymore. And now you got an advantage. So I save it towards the end anyways. Not to mention the whole Dragon Quest. Yeah, Dragon Quest, uh, what was it, 5 teaches you. Yeah, they could teach, take people away. Where's my wife at? Oh, she's going to be gone for half of the game. Great. Glad I wasn't depending on her. Oh, wait, now she finally rejoins the team, but now she's 10 levels weaker than everybody else. Great. Well, of course. She was a statue for two, for 10 years. Sigh. Though if she was a statue for 10 years, maybe she should have gotten weaker. Oh, well, at least she didn't do that. Um, Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's... I mean, I guess I played a little more of Front Mission 2089, but I don't really have much to say about that at this point. Interstellar. I really, really liked Interstellar. Christopher Nolan, great director as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was almost three hours. I say the time was earned. Um, And let's... Duel. Spielberg's first big movie. Really good. All you have is the simple concept. A man passes a truck on the road. The truck driver doesn't like it and tries to kill him for the rest of the movie. That's it. That's all you need. And a co-worker, for whatever reason, decided that I needed to see Next of Kin, a Patrick Swayze movie from 1989 in which his brother, Bill Paxton, is killed by evil mobster... Adam Baldwin, looked on by evil mobster Ben Stiller and his other brother, Liam Neeson, who is a hillbilly from Kentucky, comes to town to take him out. And uh, it takes a long time to get going. It could have been edited a lot. The final confrontation is absolutely ridiculous involving Patrick Swayze trying to take out about a dozen mobsters using bow and arrow in a cemetery. (laughs) And he's about to lose until... Well, since both brothers, both his other brothers have been dead at this point, the hillbilly reinforcements are on the way. And that includes the sight of hound dogs having, cap- having treed a mobster. Well, not 
retreat is the wrong word when he's on uh, a cemetery headstone, but it's the same principle. He's hiding out from the dogs. And another one brought a whole tray, a whole bus full of snakes, which were clearly constrictors and garter snakes and nothing poisonous. But some mobster was actually stupid enough to run into that suspiciously open bus door and get trapped inside, and then I guess the snakes killed him. That was a great trap. I'm, I'm glad it was so well thought out. And another mobster actually found a bear trap the hard way. Those hillbillies really came prepared. I mean, they just they just arrived, and they managed to lay a bear trap. How'd they do that? Uh, oh, and Patrick Swayze is married to Helen Hunt. That's interesting. Hmm. So, it, for unintentional hilarity, it supplies a lot, but as a movie, it's not very good at all. Uh, that's enough for now, I think. What have you been doing, Phil? Well... Uh, as I mentioned before, I had a couple of weeks with my in-laws in Indonesia, and that's a long flight and a lot of time with my handhelds and my laptop. Um, aside from knocking out Dragon Quest V, starting on six, um, I think I'm done with Dragon Quest talk for this week, so we won't talk any about six. But played a couple of other games. I played Desktop Dungeons. Uh, that is, I got that on GOG sale. And it's really cute. It's kind of a mixture of a puzzle and an RPG because uh, you go into these dungeons and kind of and the it's almost like a roguelike in that the monsters don't attack you unless you attack them. Except they don't even move around. So really, the the, the challenge is figuring out what order to attack these monsters that are set in this dungeon. You don't always know where they're at, and uncovering the blocks as you move around the, the tiles regenerate your health. So in a way, that becomes some of the resource and. Um, that you don't want to use up too quickly. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of like a puzzly mechanic. And I got a little addicted to that and played a bunch of that. Um, let's see. I uh, played some of my Vita. Played a lot of my PlayStation, free PlayStation Network games, which I love that PS Plus program. For 50 bucks a year, you get a couple of games every, um, every month for your Vita, your PS3, and your PS4. So I was kind of clearing through some of those games. And, yes, playing... Uh, what was that game? Nocturnal, Nocturnal Doctrine and Dying Often. Uh, thankfully, with Natural Doctrine, they uh, there's like multiple save points, I guess, throughout the battle because it never seemed like it pushed me back more than a few minutes when I died, but it was so easy to die. Um, that's kind of irritating. So the game premise seems to be set up on the fact that you can chain attacks together. And, and depending on what attack you use... And your position with the enemy and with your allies, um, you can set up these uh, these chain attacks that can do you know buku loads of damage. In a way, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, it was a Dynasty Empires game, Dynasty Empire Tactics, I want to say, or something along those lines, which I had a lot of fun with. Uh, that was completely grid based, where uh, where it was really cool because you would do an attack that might push an enemy two squares forward. And if, and if that pushed them in front of one of your other allies and they had a you know condition set for it, they would do an attack, which could, again, push them forward, push them back, whatever, and knock them into another enemy. If you planned ahead, you could really get a lot of free attacks and knock the enemy around like a, pin, a pinball and, and kill them in the process. And it was a ton of fun and easy way to get victories. So I can kind of see where that might be some of the appeal in natural doctrine. The uh, the challenge is uh, I don't remember in Dynasty Tactics the enemy doing it a return to me a whole lot. Um, well, when the enemy in natural doctrine hits you with a combo like that, 
and one of your you know one of your characters can get wiped out real fast because all six enemies can get an attack on one character by training them all together well mike i know you just love games where if the main hero dies it's game over right oh yeah that's my favorite mechanic ever well, in, oh, well yeah, it's not it's not pleasant here. Well, guess yeah, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. That's not the mechanic here. No. No, Mike, the mechanic is if any party member dies, it's game over. Oh. So obviously there are no revival items or spells. No, totally unnecessary cuz you're going to get a game over screen. <laughs> It'll just ask if you want to reload back at the last restore point and, you know, that might be halfway through the battle or whatever and you just get to do it again and again. That sounds like it would thrill me immensely. How could it not? Until you get fed up with it like I did and go play something else. And go play something else. I think, uh, yeah, so that was a little little frustrating. It's basically I have to chain good enough combos together to wipe the enemies out or at least severely cripple their capabilities, uh, their numbers, thin out their numbers, before one of them gets a turn and basically does the same thing to me. So... That's where I'm kind of at with the game. One of the other weird, frustrating things for me is it's really dark. Like, it was hard to see things on my Vita screen. Um, unless I was playing in a, in a pitch black room. I need to raise the gamma on that game or something. Um, so, yeah. Kind of a kind of a weird one there. I'll, I'll give us some more time later on and see if I can't develop some more further thoughts on it. And did some real-time strategy games with my brother. Played some Rise of Nations, Age of Mythology, the old RTS games that were on Steam. Lots of good Steam sales, of course, again this year. Bought a few games there, not too many. But I think that's a... I bought a couple, too. Yeah. Yeah, there were some, there were some good deals out there. And what's really cool is, is, for some odd reason, the pricing is lower in Indonesia. So... I would be looking at the American Steam website and it would say, you know, Age of Mythology, 10 bucks on sale. Well, he would look it up and it would be something like uh, 70,000 rupiah, which comes out to about five American dollars. And I have the, uh, the exchange rate. Well, it, was ex- it wasn't just exchange. I think, I think yeah. the dollar is higher compared to most other currencies right now. Well, I mean, seventy thousand. I mean, seventy thousand equals five bucks. So, I mean, yeah. However, you want to work that out. Um, but you know, so it would be five American dollars if I bought it from the Steam Indonesian deal. Basically, have him buy it with his Indonesian account and then gift it to me. Or it's ten dollars if I bought it directly on my Steam account with American money. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> PayPal. So I'm like, yeah, I picked a whole bunch of games and. And it came out to like it would have been like sixty five dollars if I had bought it, and it was thirty five dollars when he bought it, and then I just gave him thirty five bucks. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, had some had some guy. What was it? Uh, Injustice. Yeah, the one with the DC characters fighting each other in the Bizarro set world setup. The what if scenario? What if Superman, you know, just just lost it and went evil, and uh, that. Yeah, that that, I mean, that looked kind of interesting. I like the the comic book premise. Anyways, that, that'll be a game I play on easy because I'm not really great at fighting games. Well, that game came out on like the PlayStation stuff. It was sixty bucks, and then they released DLC, and then there was like the Ultimate Edition that came out afterwards. You could easily have spent over a hundred bucks. It was on Steam for like five bucks. Like, yay! Wow. Yeah, that, that sounded like a good deal there. So, uh, oh, and lots of lots of good uh, GOG. Uh, games, which I'm a bigger fan of GOG, anyways, because I hate DRM. So, yeah. oh no, you're going to mention it, aren't you, Phil? You just mentioned it to me the other day. That 
that GOG has this wonderful, priceless gem that everyone should experience. Go ahead, say the title. Has lots of priceless gems. Yeah, there's one in particular you felt the need to bring to my attention recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, You know, GOG does such a wonderful job of bringing back classic games and then enabling them to work on modern Windows machines. So games like Alpha Centauri that I thought I would never get to play again because I have it on disc, couldn't get it to work, they've resurrected and brought it back and made it work with Windows 8. Well, they just recently brought back an absolute gem that's right up there with Baldur's Gate and, and Alpha Centauri. It, it's Agorist, Generation of War, Collector's Edition. Boom. And, and, and it's available right now on GOG for the low price of $10. Hold me back. You know, I mean, you, come you on. Need to, you need to physically hold me back. Otherwise, I just might march onto GOG and start smashing servers. <laughs> Well, and now you can play. And you know, the best part of all is that uh, GOG games do not have any DRM, so you download the executable install file. And uh, not that I would ever say you could just give that out to your friends, but hey, with a game like Agris Wars, how can you not share it? Go out and buy them all copy. At 10 bucks, you can afford to buy your friends' copies. Uh, I mean, you can buy copies. It's Agris Wars for everybody. Alex, you played the yeah. first Agris briefly. Don't you no, want to play it again? Actually, I haven't played the first one. I played zero and two. Oh, then you, you're missing out on the original Agarest and all of its inimitable qualities that make it so memorable. Yeah, and no, zero was pretty much the same as the first one, so, yeah. <laughs> if you missed except, out... Except two, only two, was, the yeah, two was better, I'll give it that much. <laughs> that's not hard. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you missed out on some of their uh, their good uh, their good games um, or their good sales because they did their sale right before Steam did, um, you missed out on some really really good deals. Some of my recent purchases include Legend of Grimrock Two, um, which has just been getting critical acclaim across the board. Uh, I enjoyed the first one for as long as I put time into it. Anyways, before I got distracted with other pretty things, but it's an old school Eye of the Beholder style uh, dungeon crawler, first person perspective, grid based uh, type of deal, real time. Uh, if you remember the Eye of the Beholder games on the PCs or on the Genesis, you know exactly what you're getting into with Legend of Grimrock. Um, and this one takes it outdoors. And I remember uh, Chris from our uh, from our other podcast. He was like, I, I wonder how that works, grid-based dungeon crawler with outdoors. Yes, they do it. Um, a lot of uh, uh, old RPGs uh, would do grid-based, could uh, head outdoor, believe it or not. I also got Tales of Mag- uh, Magial. If you're into roguelikes, uh, this is a roguelike with a story. Believe it or not, actually kind of works. Randomize uh, stories that actually kind of go somehow works well together. Tons of classes, like you would expect in a good roguelike, um, with uh, with a lot of customization. So uh, that's a really cool one. There's uh, Papers, Please, which is not tech. It's more, it's technically like a simulation point-and-click puzzle deal. You're basically a, uh, a border border man uh, that's a boy and cheese, like uh, a customs person who is uh, looking at passports and stuff as people are trying to come into the country. Uh, it's a fi- it's a fictional country, but that that was divided and it's recently come together, kind of like Germany. And so people are coming across the border, and you're supposed to look over their their passports and their papers and reject those people who who aren't supposed to be coming in. Now that sounds like a cut and dry, puzzly, boring you know premise, 
But what happens is you're trying to support your own family day by day. Each day of your job is like a, a level in the game. And these people all have stories. Uh, so you actually find yourself making some tough decisions like getting involved uh, personally in the storytelling that's going on there. And it starts to begin to feel a little bit more like an RPG uh, without the stats. But you're making decisions and you're, it's really kind of throwing you into the role. The game's more of a commentary uh, and a role-playing game than it is a sheer point-and-click puzzle deal. So uh, that one does pretty good. I uh, got uh, Din's Curse, which is an action RPG a la Diablo style. Um, originally came out in 2010. But this one's really cool because the dungeon, um, the dungeon's more alive. You know, in Diablo and stuff, the monsters kind of sit around waiting for you to come and attack them. Then they all kind of gang pile on you. And uh, when you go back to town and rest, they just sit there and wait patiently for you to come back in. Not in Den's Curse, no. The monsters will attack the town. Uh, the, the dungeons are full of traps. And the traps will, you know, the monsters will trip the traps sometimes and kill themselves. Or they'll attack each other. So that it feels more organic. It feels more alive. And it'll kill off NPCs in your town. <laughs> just quest giver oh he's dead now you didn't uh, stop the guy who was killing him so um kind of an original uh, premise there and uh reviewed really uh really well uh and then uh i know i know speaking of kind of like role-playing-y type of games you kind of see more homogenization between the um uh, the games nowadays so this one also doesn't really qualify as an rpg but uh there's a new game out called this war of mine and uh, my brother was playing it when I was there in Indonesia. I was watching him play it. You're basically a hand, you're playing a handful, a party of four um, people in a war-ravaged land uh, that's war-torn. And you're not soldiers. You're just survivors. And you've got to survive, you know, until the war is officially over and help comes. And that can be days. It can be weeks. Just like real war, you're not sure when the end's going to come. But you're in these, you know, half-destroyed, dilapidated buildings trying to get medical supplies or food or clean water. And and it's uh, it's a little bit survival game, kind of like Don't Starve. But there's events and stuff that go on that really make you think. At one point, there was uh, a guy who looked like he was going to rape this woman as we were walking through the, the town trying to get supplies. Now, this guy had a gun. And in this game, you don't have hit points. I mean, pretty much one good shot will, will kill you. Uh, at the very least, it'll wound you. And wounds are very hard to recover from. Um, you spend half the game just trying to treat your diseases and wounds uh, in your party. So you really don't want to get hurt. But the fact that this guy was going to rape this woman, you know, that's a you just don't want to let that happen. It was really pulling you into this decision. And what should you do? Should you try to rush forward or whatever? So uh, brother grabbed a, a knife and just went after the guy and thankfully didn't get shot. Um, and, and then there were repercussions for saving her. The, the, the other people in the party, when you talked to them, they were like, they were happy that at least there was some good in this very dark world going on uh, in the such. It made you wonder what would happen if if you didn't do anything about it. So the fact that the game's very realistic in its in its portrayal um, and uh, and and uh, just you know forcing you know having these situations come up just really pulls you into the experience. And and again, without any RPG level up mechanics or anything along those lines, really pulls you into. 
uh, a role playing experience of what it might it pulls it, it it pulls up those emotions uh of what it might be like to have to make decisions and and survive through a, a war torn situation like that where people are are scraping for survival so really cool Phew, I think that's enough plugs for one show. Somebody should be paying me commissions Maybe. for all of this. Yeah, commissions. Ooh. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tell you one more thing, and that is that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Check out our reviews, like the one Mike wrote at RPGamer.com. Uh, yeah, we go, got go, go comment on my other review. My Persona Q review has been sadly ill-attended because I finished it before the game was out. Well, and I think people are too busy co- you know, defending Beyond the Beyond to really even talk about Persona Q. Yeah, because, well, as everyone knows, Persona Q is inferior to Beyond the Beyond. That has been demonstrated beyond a doubt. Ah, see what I did there? <laughs> this is, this is uh, funny. Uh, this review thread from Max has only got five replies on it, whereas your Beyond the Beyond review's got double that. Maybe even triple. Uh, I, clearly, popularity-wise, we can see that Beyond the Beyond trounces Persona Q. People love Beyond the Beyond. There's just something in the world today. Uh, even even Destiny, the Destiny review only has nine reactions. Beyond the Beyond has 17. Oh my gosh, people. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, all those reviews and more at rpgamer.com. We have two great sister podcasts. If you like this podcast, check out the RPG cast, which comes out every week, where Chris, Anna, and rotating guest talk about what's going on fresh and new in the world of RPGs. Oh, they're talking about the other game. Uh, maybe I'll talk about more next time. I will talk about more next time, maybe. Um, they're playing World of Warcraft. A lot of us kind of gotten back into it with the new expansion, so they talk a lot about that. Uh, but they're, they're all the time talking about new news. So if you want newer news, that's the place to go. We've also got the Active Topical banner uh, where they're talking about various uh, topics. They recently uh, talked about uh, what would it take to fix Final Fantasy. So that's a very and interesting if you, discussion. If you, get this, if you get this soon, you could leave feedback on that thread because the next episode of that show will be a Q&A style thing. So just Whatever you want to hear, have them answer. Put it down there. There you go. Uh, and again, a you know, yeah, forum comments, all that different stuff. Thank you, Alex, for suffering this long because I know it's super or late or early or something for you over there. Um, we appreciate it, uh, Mister. It's, it's not light outside yet. That's okay. It's not light outside. It's... That's that's only because of the season of the year. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Eighteen hours of darkness. Uh, Mr. Mike, you want to put us to bed? Uh, you know what? Yeah, let's let's end this by crossing our fingers and hoping that we can do for Legend of Heroes what we managed to do a few months ago for Devil Survivor Two. Get get some firm news. That'll do it for the night. Good night.
なくしたまま。